right. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Dave Cronin, City Engineer, and I'm here with uh, City staff members Josephine Gonzalez and Jenny O'Brien and uh, Dustin Smith tonight. And we will work alongside Pat Collette, the chair of the Multimodal Transportation Commission, to facilitate tonight's meeting proceedings. Uh, this meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city's YouTube channel and public access cable channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon on the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on when you are participating in the meeting. When you are not participating, it's okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Individuals who registered in advance to provide public comments remotely will be called upon by name. When you are called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct them th to the podium to speak while following social distancing and safety protocols. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, staff will call on each member individually to provide vote. Staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. And now I'll turn over the meeting to the MMTC chair, Pat Collette. Pat. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. This is Pat Collette, chair of MMTC. And tonight's meeting uh, includes a study session on um, what's it's, it's titled Community Health and Health Equity, and it comes out of our um, our strategic or our um, retreat in, in which we developed a, a um, goal to to uh, develop um, measures for equity uh, in the CIP and other projects reviewed by MMTC. And um, uh, both Steve Evans and Gregory Critchlow um, worked with David to put together a a panel for um, for tonight's uh, study session, and um, we were able to preview some of the materials last week and talk over the agenda. And I think um, it's going to be really valuable to us in terms of looking at those uh, six objectives that we had developed and and move us forward on the on the, the um, transportation equity front in terms of supporting decision making. So I'd like to turn it over to Steve. Uh, I don't think uh, Gregory's on the call right now at any rate and turn it over to uh, Steve to, to, uh, to uh, go forward here. Uh, before we do that, do we need a roll call for the study session, David? Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and take roll call here to start off. We can do that. Okay. Uh, Josephine Gonzalez, MMT or MSO, sorry. Um, Charlie Bryan. Here. Gregory Crishlow. Steve Evans. Here. Carol Bowen. 
Nick Kuzmiak. Here. Thomas Allen. Aaron Payton. Here. Patricia Collette. Here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, Steve, I'll go ahead and uh, turn that turn it over to you. Okay. Thank you, Pat. <clears throat> As Pat noted, we spent um, a real nice uh, hour, hour and a half with a few folks last week or the week before, uh, including um, Valerie, who's on the call tonight, and um, uh, Jill and. Gosh, I can't come up with all the folks from the uh, from the Douglas County, but um, it um, this issue. As long as I've been on this commission, we've um, been asking a lot of questions about how this should affect the decisions that we make and how we look at um, a lot of things, if not all of the things on our agendas. And we've, you know, I'll speak for myself a little bit. I've kind of struggled to find something other than a map um, to go to, uh, to kind of figure out what does this mean to people that are in situations that um, we don't fully understand and probably we could help more if we understood this whole thing better. Um, I, I think what I'm looking for, what, what we shared with the group we met with was we, I don't, this is a complicated issue, but for this multimodal transportation commission, we need to have what I'm going to call and somebody correct me if you don't agree, a simple filter to look at uh, equity, environmental justice, through that lens and through that filter, and I'm going to say everything we do. Um, we've, I think, time at times struggled to like, okay, what does all this mean in terms of sidewalks? Would be, uh, I think, where it came up a lot was, okay, how are we moving around town with the priorities for sidewalks, and something doesn't seem right there. Um, we listen to staff and see a very logical discussion about why the approach was taken, but um, we kind of scratch our heads a little bit with, um, you know, why and maybe we should um, look at this uh, through a different lens in my mind. Um, I'm going to ask, um, I, I think that's, that's kind of my lead into this. I, I do think that... Um, I anticipated listening and asking questions. Um, Valerie, I don't know if you're prepared to kind of run with this now, but I think from the group that, uh, that we were with a week or two ago, um, I think you would be a good, I think that's probably why you're here <laughs> is to do that. And also Jessica, um, I see Jessica's uh, picture there. I think she's still with us. But um, um, after, there she is. After the time we spent, it, it, it really was like, golly, I learned so much in the last hour. Um, and Pat, I think, Pat was on the call too. And 
we were like, gee, the people that Jessica put together for us was perfect. Um, we've got a lot to learn. And I think we're on a learning curve here. And uh, to understand the issue in its totality, but to figure out what we can do about it and what we're going to do about it. Um, I, I'd even ask Jessica maybe next to talk about um, um, the, I just read your email again that you sent out after our meeting, Jessica, and we provided the group we met with, with four or five typical agenda items that, um, you know, we wanted to say, okay, this is what we look at and how can you help us kind of figure out what that toolkit might look like in looking at the typical agenda items that we have. Um, I also, and this is something that we've talked about in every retreat I've attended is, uh, you know, what is the expectation for this group? And I did point out also to the folks we met with that we're an advisory board, essentially, we are a commission. We meet once a month for what, two to four to five hours. And it's in a way, a, a little bit of a limitation in terms of how we can touch big issues like this. So my request was to get help in providing us with a toolkit, a filter, a lens to evaluate the kinds of topics that we normally look at and also to give staff the ability uh, in preparing our agendas to, to point out resources, um, whatever would be helpful in our consideration in preparing for our meetings and making decisions and recommendations um, uh, for for what we do. Um, so that's that's my long-winded tip off here. And maybe Jessica, I'd ask you to go next and maybe get Valerie to chime in after that. So uh, if that works for you, Jessica, fire away. Yeah, Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. Steve, I'm actually going to yield the floor to Valerie because I think she's got a presentation to share some data oh, okay. and information with you, with you all that you can kind of all then have a conversation and respond and react to. Um, and so then if you have other specific questions, we can weigh in. I'm happy to join that part of the conversation. But Valerie and uh, Jill Jolliker, who should be joining us, um, have prepared something. Okay, fantastic. Okay. It's all yours, Valerie. And so can you hear me okay? Yes. All right. Great. And um, I was thoughtful about your statement about a simple lens or filter because I'm not sure anything that I usually present on is ever simple. <laughs> but I do have a presentation because that's where I feel most comfortable. It's something visual for you to look at and review. So I'm going to pop this up on the screen. I'm hoping that you can see it. And um, and we can start from here. Um, my name is Valerie Carson. I'm the Director of Policy and Planning for Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. Um, I'm fairly new to this position. I've been here for six months now. Um, but part of my responsibility is some of the work around the community health assessment and um, an improvement plan. And so this really talks, it speaks to that. Um, 
when I understood and was looking through kind of your your bullet points about where you want to bring equity into transportation, what I was thoughtful about is how I see equity, but I think it will connect with your um, with your ideas around transportation. And um, and just to be clear, if there are times within the presentation, because sometimes I start talking really fast, if someone would like to just insert a question, feel free to interrupt me. No problem. Um, so equity itself, just by itself, is this quality of being fair and um, impartial. And in my work, and that of Lawrence Douglas County Public Health, our focus is on, on health equity, which is attaining that highest level of health for all people in the community. And in order to be able to really achieve that, we need to have focused and ongoing efforts to address inequalities in the community, the historical and contemporary injustices, and eliminate health and healthcare disparities that are linked to social, economic, and environmental disadvantage. So um, if the goal is for everyone to have a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible, um, how does a strong multimodal transportation, how does that play a role in that? And so, um, I wanted to spend my time talking and trying to connect some of those dots between first thinking about what the factors are that impact our health, those what we call social determinants of health, um, what health equities we experience here in Douglas County for some groups, um, what the local response is to address those inequities and promote health for all for all of our residents. And then specifically, how do transportation options and barriers impact that health equity? So this is um, one of the graphics. I think there are different graphics out there that are put out by different organizations, but it kind of gives us a feel for to understand some of the different factors that contribute to our overall health. Um, and I think there's a little bit of debate sometimes about um, the exact percentages for these chunks, as it were, but um, but you see these consistently so that we know that health care, that access to health care and insurance status that impacts our health. Um, our physical environment, very much so, the place of residence, exposure to toxic or environmental kind of substances, um, the built environment itself and the buildings and transportation systems, et cetera social and economic factors, such as discrimination, income differentials, um, educational levels, et cetera, and health behaviors. Um, all of these come together to contribute to our overall health. And the thing that is very interesting about, if you look at this proportionally, you start to realize that actually the majority of things that impact our health are actually things that are outside of necessarily the individual themselves, but speak to the broader community and the factors in the broader community and the historical um, issues that may impact that. So a person's health is primarily influenced by environmental conditions, social relationships, and the institutional structures that exist where they grow up, where they live, where they work, et cetera. And then those factors in turn have an impact on their individual behaviors and values, et cetera. One way to think about this is kind of what those impact and drivers of potentially inequities for different groups to experience. 
given that different persons and populations are born and live in different contexts, it's not surprising that you start to see inequities around health that, and that that happens for different groups. I think this is a nice visual because when I often think about who a person is and their health, and you think about the health of a tree, there are, there are things that are happening above ground to that tree that impact its health. Um, and then there are things that are happening at the ground level in the soil and even in the groundwater that have an impact on that health. And I think this visual sometimes kind of points to when you look at health and you look at health of entire populations, you start to understand that there's much going on in the soil and the groundwater in um, issues around racism, poverty, um, environmental hazards and occupational ha hazards, unemployment levels, opportunity that have a huge impact on people's health that, um, that can then play out in different populations. So there's been a very purposeful shift from talking about the idea of equality versus equity. Um, and so how does that differ? Um, when we talk about equality, we're really talking about that all people are treated the same regardless of their needs and circumstances. But when we talk about equity, we're talking about that it recognizes that each person is unique and has a different set of circumstances. And in order to reach the same outcome, they may need different resources or opportunities in order to be able to get there. I think this is a great visual in the sense of um, if what you would like to do is promote um, more active transportation with, for example, bicycles, what you could do in an equal way is give everybody the same bicycle. But as you can see from the visual, that's not going to work for everybody to be able to be actively engaged with being able to travel with bicycles. Um, and so you need to use different kinds of bicycles or different types of transportation in order to be able to meet everybody's needs. I often think another good example of trying to understand the difference between equality and equity when I get pushed back about, well, I don't really understand why I need to give different things to different people, um, is I think about if you gave everybody the same set of glasses with the same prescription, why would you have the expectation that all of them would then be able to see the board well in order to be able to actively engage in maybe education or such? but we give them different prescriptions because different people have a different level of need. Um, I think, I don't know if you can see my cursor. Can you see my cursor? I'm not sure. Yes or no? Yes. If you look here to the right, these are kind of what traditionally public health has focused on. We look at those kind of what I would call downstream um, issues around risk behaviors, disease and injury, look at morbidity and mortality. But as we start to think, especially if we want to address health inequities, we really need to move upstream, further up here, where we're looking at those social inequities, those institutional inequities, and the living conditions that people experience in order to have a more a preventive approach to be able to assure that all, again, we're looking at for health equity that everyone has a just and a full opportunity to be as healthy as possible. 
we need to be looking upstream and that's really where we see in the emerging public health practice where the focus should be. It's not that we don't want to still think about risk behaviors, disease and mortality, um, but we need to be thinking upstream in order to be more effective. And if you notice from, um, from the types of things that are described here, downstream is very much focused on often the individual um, and upstream is very much focused on what are the broader systems, what are the organizations, what is the culture and the community and the way that it functions um, that may be impacting people's health. And that you can have a huge impact on a lot of people if you are focused upstream. So just to be clear, um, two of the greatest drivers of um, differential health outcomes are income levels and educational attainment. And this is some example of how you see income matters for what people's health is. And this is local um, data for Douglas County. So this is not national data, but this is local data for Douglas County that really shows the link between the increased likelihood of multiple negative outcomes um, to the to what the person's level of income is for the household that they live in. So as you can see here, for those whose income is less than $35,000 per year, they were more than six times as likely, excuse me, more than six times more likely to be uninsured. They were three times more likely to have not accessed a doctor due to the cost. And they were two times more likely um, to report fair or poor health overall. And so another negative health outcome or similar link is between educational attainment and health outcomes. So here we see that if you have a high school degree or less, um, that you are more likely, that you're three times more likely to be uninsured than those who had more than a high school um, diploma. You are more than two times more likely to be a smoker and almost two times as likely to report fair or poor health. Finally, you see, um, you also see um, a similar link between race and ethnicity and it, how it matters to your health outcomes. Um, and one of these examples is your percent of births that are low birth weight by race and ethnicity. Um, I think it's really, really important that even when socioeconomic status and educational attainment are actually controlled for, that these health inequities by race and ethnicity continue to persist. You also see this and it goes beyond to, this also translates beyond just morbidity to mortality, where you see differences in life expectancy by race and ethnicity. Are there questions thus far? Okay, so we have this information. Um, we can look at it, we can go, all right, we see there's a problem. So the question then becomes is what is our community's response? What do we do about it? Because we know this isn't fair and we know that this isn't just. And so our community's response to these health disparities, how do we intentionally take action to eliminate them? 
um, so that everyone has that just um, and fair opportunity to be as healthy as possible is we have what is called a community health assessment and an improvement plan that we engage in with partners across this community. So we are committed to first, we needed to know, we need to assess what the current health status and needs and issues are in the community. And then we need to put together a health improvement plan that will focus on being able to address what are prioritized issues in this community and that address those health inequities so we can reach our goals. Um, what you see here is what's called the 10 essential services for, the, for public health. And always throughout all of these types of activities, they are always centered around equity with the recognition that everyone should have the opportunity to be as healthy as possible and that our actions need to reflect that that's our value and that's what we prioritize. So that health assessment and planning, which interestingly enough, is we are starting another cycle of because these are done every five or so years and, um, and we reassess what we know about the community and its priorities and we identify where we're going to focus moving forward. Um, so um, again, yes, this is, sorry, this is about the every five years and I'm sorry, I, I moved the slide. <laughs> Um, so if anyone would like here, I'm just going to tell you right now, wants to be part of this process and is thoughtful about it as we move forward, um, is we are starting this process again here in 2021 for the next 2023 to 2028 um, Community Health Improvement Plan. When we do this in this last 2018 to 2023, in this process, we completed a community health assessment back in 2017 and we identified several different factors that they thought were prioritized as important and were most contributing to health outcomes for communities here in Douglas County. Um, we eventually focused on four different areas, that of behavioral health, healthy food and physical activity, housing, and poverty and jobs, which eventually became the anti-poverty. We also had one lens through which all of these were looked at and which, which all actions and strategies were considered, and that was, that, that was the lens of equity. So in the 2018 to 2023 Community Health Plan, we have four primary areas, and that's safe and affordable housing, which is convened by the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority, the anti-poverty focus area, which is United Way Douglas County and Human Services Coalition, behavioral health, which is convened by Douglas County, and access to healthy foods and healthy built environment, which is convened by Live Well Douglas County. Um, we, and we are also then working, as I said, throughout woven throughout this is the issue of health equity and justice, and we are creating a new focus area called health equity and justice that at this point is becoming is being developed and how it's going to be structured is still working. I want you to pay attention to two of these in particular because we're going to go back to some of the objectives and their goals that are related specifically to transportation as we move forward. And that is 
the access to healthy foods and healthy built environment, and anti-poverty, which Joe will be speaking about. Um, finally, as we continue to work in the community across those conveners, and actually there's one thing I want to point out that I think is really important. If you look at this visual, you can see among those conveners that none of them are Lawrence Douglas County Public Health. In order to do the work of changing conditions in the community that are prioritized by the community, we really, that work has to be done out in the community. It can't be done here at the health department. Um, we act as support with our staff for these particular efforts and help them move that forward. But this really is something that needs to be leveraged by our partners out in the community that can influence and bring resources and build bridges to new partners to be able to do this work. And then there is always ongoing evaluation of what was achieved because each of these put together their own action plans that had goals that they stated that were related to one of those areas, um, actions that they would take in order to accomplish those goals and the types of objectives that they wanted to measure, you know, whether they were achieving the goals that they had set. I think one of the things that's really important, and I use this one as an example, is that's really important to understand in order to be able to accomplish any of these big, what I would call audacious goals, is that you need to have partners from all across the community that have different relationships and different areas of influence, but that would be engaged and, and committed to these particular goals. And so, for example, with the anti-poverty focus, you can see you can see all kinds of different sectors being engaged in that work in order to be able to move it forward and for them to achieve their objectives. So I'm going to speak to one of the areas of focus just to give you kind of a feel for where transportation overlaps. Um, with the food security and healthy built environment, what you can see here, which I think is important, is organizations that participated in creating that plan and implementing it, you've got a huge number of different organizations um, that are committed to that and that are bringing their ideas and what they can do and that follow through on those activities. And I just wanted to really emphasize the fact that, that for most of these areas of focus that you have a lot of different people at the table. I also want to like bring that to your attention because all of these can use your assistance if you want to get engaged in them and you feel like that would be consistent with the work that you want to accomplish. For the food security and healthy built environment there, they had two major overarching area goals and both of those were really about healthy weights among county residents. And so one was by 2023, that you would increase the proportion of adults who are at a healthy weight um, from 41.1 to 43%. And by 2023, you would decrease the proportion of children and youth who are obese from 24% to 22.8. Um, these were going to be accomplished by focusing on two major areas and that was increasing food security and access to healthy food and by increasing opportunity for physical activity. So 
If we look at the food insecurity and lack of access to healthy food, one of the things that they found when they were doing surveys and talking to people in the community is that low access to transportation, whether public transit, their own transportation, or to being able to um, to basically access through walking or through bicycling was identified as a major barrier to accessing healthy foods. And that the physical attributes of neighborhoods um, could influence levels of physical activity. For example, I think you made a comment earlier about, you know, where do you put sidewalks? Where do you prioritize your sidewalks? Um, some of the goals that they identified was trying to um, reduce the the households living with food insecurity in the county, which is actually, um, this was a goal that was achieved back in 2019. I'm going to say, it, unfortunately, with the, with the pandemic, that there's a good chance that we may need to be still working in this area, because I think a lot of people are now living with food insecurity that maybe um, had achieved that goal of not. Um, also looking at the percent of adults who are participating in recommended levels of physical activity, we're still working towards that also. Another area of the focus was getting kids out and walking and biking to school and providing opportunities for that to happen. So looking at what percentage in the Lawrence student in the Lawrence USD 497 actually walked or biked to school. I know they're still working on this in Eudora and in Baldwin. Um, and then the percentage of residents that live within um, one fourth mile of a bikeway network. So you can start to see we're thinking about planning for transportation and spaces might be influencing whether or not people engage in physical activity, which would then influence whether people were able to maintain or gain a healthy weight um, and the other physical and then the other health outcomes that would improve because of that. We also had with food, the food security and healthy built environment, the percentage of public streets with sidewalks on at least one side trying to improve that. And I think about as you look at where health inequities are in the community, whether or not as you make those decisions about where to improve those sidewalks or increase them, are we doing that in spaces where people have poor health outcomes? And the average number of non-motorized fatalities. It was really important that as we looked at this, that if we looked at and identifying what these objectives were and what they wanted to prioritize on, that those were objectives were selected through a community input process. And that really requires not only that we go to our existing partners, but that we create spaces where people maybe who don't have transportation can still be able to participate. Or for those that are in areas that maybe traditionally haven't engaged in public forums, are there different ways to engage people? Do we had a, we had a survey, there were public forums, there were focus groups, et cetera. Trying to be very intentional and in knowing that there were certain subgroups in the community that had poor health outcomes overall and wanting to make sure that we were getting their information and their feedback to be able to incorporate into what these objectives were and what priorities were chosen. 
And we continue to do this work both in the anti-poverty focus, which I'll shift over to Jill if she's here, um, as that where they're talking about they have a transportation committees to move certain objectives forward. And then the healthy built environment and food security focus, Live Well Douglas County, both of those have worked groups that are leading efforts around that and that community members and organizations volunteer to be part of those committees and they are open and welcome to anyone who wants to work on those objectives. Is Jill joined us, Jessica? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, and I'm, I apologize, I'm, I'm in between meetings and I'm sorry I was late to join. Um, but uh, thank you, Valerie, for laying a nice um, overlay of foundation for how we came about um, doing the work of the anti-poverty plan. And um, thank you, Jessica and Dave, for inviting us to um, be able to share this with your group. Um, and, I, you know, uh, after this presentation, you know, and after you've all had a chance to think about this, you know, we welcome any ideas and engagement um, that we can have at future conversations and um, where there's opportunities. But um, you see on the slide that Valerie's got for me here is the transportation focus objective within the um, anti-poverty plan. Um, and we had a developmental objective of um, by 2023 to develop strategies that impact safe, affordable, and accessible transportation opportunities um, and address barriers to driving uh, poverty for low-income households. And I won't read through all the strategies here, but um, you can see that, um, you know, some of the strategies that we look at here um, are related to, um, you may, we mentioned the Human Services Coalition, and that's really related to um, uh, conversations that have been happening for a good amount of time in the Human Services Coalition, um, which is a kind of organic group of um, human service agencies that started out um, just kind of getting together and talking about um, mutual issues uh, where we could um, together have collective impact. Um, the city and, uh, or excuse me, the county and uh, the United Way um, being um, some of the largest funders of human services in the community convened the agencies that we fund and um, we quickly blossomed into um, a really large stakeholder group that meets on a quarterly basis um, and shares information and, again, talks about collective impact opportunities. Transportation has consistently come up. Um, and when we um, engaged in the work of developing the community health plan, um, transportation continued to come up. But, um, you know, clearly it's an, it's, it truly is a cross-cutting um, strategy that impacts, as Valerie mentioned, um, the um, health, the built environment. Um, it also impacts other planks of the community health plan. You know, it's influential into safe and affordable housing. Um, it's influential into our behavioral health plan that the county's really been invested in and that transportation is necessary to access uh, behavioral health and other health care supports. But as it relates to the, the anti-poverty plan, um, you know, we talk, we, we call for our strategies that um, are multi-sector. So I kind of talked about that a, a bit a minute ago, um, but also studies the local needs, barriers and opportunities um, for the our BIPOC community. Um, one of the, um, you'll see a slide here in a minute, but um, we, what our priority focus areas are for the anti-poverty plan, but we're very intentional in focusing on um, our BIPOC community and some other priority groups. Um, 
and really just looking at, you know, countywide transportation priorities, um, having those developed that are focused on um, the Community Health Poverty Reduction Plan. And, and we're, our focus of that plan is access to work, child care, um, and child and access to criminal justice proceedings and access to those basic needs that I talked about a minute ago. Next slide. Um, so just a little background on how that how transportation um, focused objective was included. Um, I mentioned some of that a little bit, but you know it was consistently listed as a barrier to accessing employment, child care, health care opportunities, food, support services, and other resources by our Douglas County Human Services Coalition partners. Um, and it was identified in the Healthy Communities Initiative Assessment. Um, grant, which you'll see those results here in just a second um, on a nice slide that um, is a part of that. But um, it, it continued to come up over and over again in some different um, human service, public health um, survey work and focus groups that had already occurred. But um, also it has been indicated um, as part of um, the county is for the last five years, I think, been a part of the National Stepping Up Initiative, which is a um, collaborative effort between the National Council of State Governments and the um, National Association of Counties to um, work to prevent um, the incarceration of individuals with mental illness in local county jails. Part of that work identified um, I, the, some of the barriers that individuals face to even to being booked into our county jail in the first place. And a large, a large rate of those um, folks that were surveyed and engaged with as part of the initial results of that project um, indicated that, you know, transportation was a barrier for these folks for a variety of reasons, whether it's resources for our homeless and indigent clients, um, uh, community members or because folks have lost their driver's license. Um, one of the other work groups of the anti-poverty plan is really digging into issues of the decriminalization of poverty and the impact of fines and fees. And what we know, we know already is that there's a good number of Douglas County residents that have had their driver's licenses revoked because of um, excessive fines and fees. So, um, we're, we're engaging with the right stakeholders in our criminal justice system, but we also need to understand as that we work through this plan, where can we have influence um, on a local level? Where is their discretion? Where can we make some enhancements? And um, again, the ideas that this group can um, help us imagine would really be tremendous. Next slide. Um, this is just um, uh, a screenshot of one of the um, of the some of the responses from that um, Healthy Communities Initiative Assessment. Um, and I specifically talks about barriers to employment. Um, you see, you know, you folks wanted to hear a lot, understand in this group, you know, how, do we, how, does that, how can we um, approach our work with an equity lens? You can see here that there's a lot of, a lot of folks report that prejudice kind of sits at the top of that. So I think that's something to keep in top of mind. Um, but then number three on that list with a good amount of respondents was lack of transportation. And so um, there's a whole host of other um, issues there that I, I do think that our community health plan, the various plagues are trying to address. And then what's our next slide? Do we have next slide? I forget. I was just going to check that. Yes. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the over, um, so just to give you a sense of what our priority, our goals, you see what our goal statement is. Um, and it's, um, and you see our overall objective. Um, and I'll just real quickly call out, you know, again, we are uh, focused, you see our priority populations and our black and African American families sit at the top of that. Um, along with our indigenous Latinx, um, Asian Pacific, Middle Eastern um, community members, um, but also looking at justice involved, formerly incarcerated residents with children under 18, single parents, female headed households, all working towards a goal, uh, an overall objective that by 2023, that we have po we create policy systems and environmental changes that result in an environment in which the percentage of BIPOC children living in poverty does not increase that does not increase increase is really um, by design and that it may not seem very aspirational but it acknowledges the real impact that many of our families have had of COVID-19 economically and physically um, mentally um, spiritually all the ways that um, our BIPOC community has been impacted by COVID-19 um, and if we can hold that hold our numbers of children living in poverty steady um then we're doing pretty good but that's going to be a tall order given the challenges that um we already know our um communities experiencing today as it relates to issues of housing and homelessness and employment mm -hmm. next slide mm -hmm. and i think this one was replication sorry oh yeah my yeah, uh, well, yes, and, and that's probably my fault. I apologize. I think this might be the last one, but um, I, you know, we're this, we, as we work through the anti, we operationalize the anti-poverty plan. It was only approved by the Human Services Coalition at the end of January. And um, there's a lot of pieces of this that, you know, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel or recreate groups. We knew there were groups that were already working on these issues. And um, we knew that there were um, processes that were already at play and um, champions that, that cared about this work as well. And, and candidly, Jessica is one of those, one of those folks. So I want to make sure that I'm, um, I'm, 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 you know, making sure that I recognize her and making sure that she's connecting dots because, um, you know, I, 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 she just, she allowed me to, um, you know, have a series of meetings with her. She came to a series of our meetings and now I really feel like she is equally invested in the work of, um, of our plan and trying to connect dots where, um, where she can connect them. So, um, I look forward to any ideas that can come out of this group. So Jessica, I think that was the extent of the, our part of the presentation. And so now we open, we're open to questions. Well, I would, um, Jessica, do you want to add anything? Um, and if you do fire away, if not, I'll make a few comments. Sure, Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. I have a few things I would just comment on before you start a discussion. So um, Jill is correct in saying that we have, it's, the MPO has began to engage in conversations about how we elevate equity. And we've heard some of your initiatives and your goals too from MMTC to want to uh, broach this work. And my conversations have always been 
let's bring the equity lens to all the work we're doing. Um, And we will start that. Um, We are already beginning some of that work on the back end, um, kind of not in a public process yet, but working with um, a community partner, Just Food, and mapping some client data and relating that back to transportation disadvantaged populations data, where we're starting to find that there's uh, quite a lot of correlation um, between some of those groups where we're showing that census demographic data, and then where we're using a local organization's data to support um, what we think is the story about what's happening in our community. Our next um, broach, we're starting some conversations with Food Policy Council and community health planners about um, walk sheds and transportation access to bus stops um, and healthy food destinations, looking at where we have coverage and where we don't, looking at multimodal connections. So we're starting to do some of these processes to ask the questions and use the data and information that's available to us to help bring back things, I think, in planning and in processes like the ones you use, which I hope in the future will provide us an opportunity to like update non-motorized prioritization policy or possibly um, evolve the sidewalk, the pedestrian model. Um, And so those are the types of things we are already working on. We also are underway on another initiative to procure in a partnership with KDOT, a new um, mobility planner position that would be housed in our division that would be grant funded, which we believe can work with Human Services Coalition and the MPO's Regional Transit Advisory Committee, which convenes all of the paratransit and transit service providers um, in Douglas County um, to work together to address some of the needs that have been identified in the community, both through the Coordinated Public Transit Human Services Transportation Plan and um, in any of the community uh, health planning around transportation needs. So we have some ongoing processes that I think you're going to hear more about. You won't hear about them specifically in terms of, um, you know, we're not going to come back and report them. But as we go through the process, we are going to be working with the committees that are going to be established to do those processes like pedestrian plan to make sure that equity is evaluated and incorporated into the recommendations that we come back with. All right. Um, I um, I want to give everybody else an opportunity. We're bumping into six o'clock here in about 10 minutes or so, but um, the two slides that Valerie showed that that keep popping back in my mind were the, uh, the bicycle slide with uh, equity and equality. And uh, that discussion, um, uh, really, you know, I'd never thought about it in those terms. Maybe it's self-evident, but um, that uh, that could enter into a lot of things that we talk about. Just that aspect of, you know, there's not, you know, uh, there's there's not one solution for everything. In other words, uh, the other slide that I would like to spend a little more time with at a different time would be the upstream, downstream, um, and take a little look, a little closer look at the detail on that, because, you know, obviously you had to get through that slide pretty quickly, but um, uh, that, uh, those two slides, and I'm sure there's more, uh, would be 
pretty pretty valuable, I think, for us to look at it in a little more detail. And the last comment I'll make is um, uh, there are a lot of identification of what the problem is. Uh, you know, there's an enormous amount of information about um, people saying, well, transportation is a, an impediment to getting a job. And I think it's our job, one of our jobs is to figure out how to fix it. Um, and it's, it's not easy to identify a problem. It's really hard to figure out what you're going to do about it. When you make a broad statement about transportation challenge, well, what's the solution? Better buses, uh, microtransit, bike paths, sidewalks, you know, automobiles, shared automobiles. You know, there's just so many different things. And what would be more appropriate or less appropriate for that population in a certain part of the community? So um, those are kind of my initial thoughts. And um, uh, certainly, um, Nick, Aaron, Charlie, and Pat, uh, fire away. Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC. I may as well get started. Um, so thanks, everybody, for um, the excellent presentation. And um, also, all the um, all the materials that were in the agenda, I did actually get a chance to read over all of them. So I'd seen a couple of those before, especially the community health plan, but I had not seen the plan to reduce poverty. Um, I had a couple of thoughts while I was going through, and I, um, if we have time, which we have a couple minutes, I was hoping to maybe touch on a couple of them. Um, so I, I know that the affordable housing section doesn't necessarily pertain to MMTC. That's more of a, you know, affordable housing advisory board, planning commission, and then the actual governmental nonprofit organizations who deal with that. But um, a common misconception, I feel like, is that housing affordability is just related to the actual affordability of said house or the dwelling unit or the rent or whatever. But um, researchers over the past five to 10 years or so have come up with what they call the H HNT index or housing and transportation index, which basically says that housing affordability is not just about what you live in and how you live in it, but where you live. So if you're really far away from everything that you need to access, it costs a lot of money to maintain a car and to drive it to places or to spend a lot of time on the subway or the train or anything. Um, and I, I think it would be good to maybe make that clear in the, in the assessment of how or how not housing is affordable here. Um, I think the community discussion often centers on, well, we in, you know, Brook Creek or North Lawrence, we always get all the affordable housing. We should put some in, you know, in far West Lawrence or, you know, like in the rural areas, which sounds great until you realize those aren't near any of the amenities most people need to access on a daily basis. So I think that's kind of important to keep in mind, not just in this group, but for a lot of people that affordable housing is not just what you live in, but where it is. So just something I try to beat that drum about often. Um, and the plan to reduce poverty, I had a couple of kind of more specific things. For the, there's a, a slider page in there about, you know, how we can help improve transportation just that that comes up again and again. Was there anything, I guess, specific that you're maybe hinting at with that or implied or, you know, because I'm kind of seeing two ways about this. Do we just take what we currently have and make it better, have transit, but more buses, more frequent service, further reach, better stops? Or are we going to think about this in a totally new new way? Um, as I've been doing some sidebar conversations over the transfer center, um, the downtown bus transfer center and the Bob Billings 
Crestline one. We've come to the opinion that maybe fixed route transit with large city buses may not be all of the future. There may be room for things like micro transit, first mile, last mile micro mobility, um, subsidized ride share, ride handling services. And I guess is, I don't know if that's the kind of thing that um, the authors had in mind, but that is something personally I'd like to look into either here or on public transit advisory uh, committee. There was another thing about the kind of childcare and just the initiative on childcare in general and how do we get people access to, um, you know, places to take care of their children while they're at work. Um, and transportation disadvantaged population often isn't able to take advantage of these opportunities as much just because it takes, you know, a drive to get your kid to daycare for the most part. Um, for example, is there any sort of idea floating around for a, a kid's bus, you know? A, a kind of subsidized bus service that can take kids from where they are in a safe manner with fully vetted drivers to the various daycares so that parents don't have to worry about driving. And finally, it was, uh, there was a cool section about decriminalization of poverty, especially around, you know, uh, revoked licenses and other various driving related things. Have we ever thought to put in speed or red light cameras? I know they get a bit of a knee-jerk reaction from a lot of folks. But the fact is, with the increased focus on interactions with police and BIPOC drivers, perhaps replacing those traffic stops with non-discriminatory automation could actually reduce in-person interactions, which could lead to significantly better health and stress outcomes, right? And then you could even tie ticketing and the, the rates that people pay for fines to any financial assistance that that person is currently on, or even the cost of the, their vehicle for going in the other direction. So you could actually have kind of a, I don't know if this is the right term, but a, a a progressive fine instead of a, a regressive one. Some countries are pretty good at doing that. I don't know if we're quite ready for it yet, but we do have the information. So just putting that one out there and it's a subject I'd definitely like to get on in more detail and see why we don't do this really commonly used practice. So that's it for me. Thanks, Nick. Other other uh, questions from commissioners or comments? Uh, Charlie Bryant, MMTC commissioner. I think the, I mean, I appreciate the presentations and I think this topic is something that we need to spend more time on, but I would like to kind of just suggest a way that we can move forward that feels at least incrementally some getting us closer to where we need to be. In the staff memos that are prepared for a lot of the you know decisions we have to make or presentations that are made by staff, I think it would be really helpful to to get from staff some some written um, kind of description of the uh, equity dimension to the decision that's being considered. And I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that could go, but I'd like to just kind of put it out there, like in the same way a few years ago, we kind of started asking for some um, expected elements in any of the memos around traffic safety. I, I think we could probably do the same with this. Um, so it kind of leaves a lot of flexibility, like how does staff want to approach that? How do they want to systematically bring that into our consideration when we make decisions? Um, I kind of think, Steve, when you made your introductory comments that you were kind of looking for something like that, which sort of um, connects me back to your work that you did around the complete streets checklist. You know, is there some similar 
documentation that could be used to at least help us start wrapping our heads around operationalizing uh, how we address equity in our decision making. So I don't think there's a whole lot of time to probably get there today, obviously. But I think that might be a nice next step, um, just so we can see some progress this year. I think the background information is something we'll probably need to continue to invest ourselves in like we did today. But I'd like to see something, even if it's just that staff committed commitment to addressing it. Um, I think that would be real progress for our commission. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. I, I did want to mention that on our agenda, we have allowed till 630 for this discussion up until that amount of time that if we need that. So um, just to give us a little bit more time and, and to tag on to what you just said, Charlie, you know, going into this, I was really looking back at what we wrote about what we wanted to accomplish and as far as the objectives in this, and that had to do with a um, you know, developing equity impact statements for for projects reviewed or, or decisions that are made by by the by the commission and um, you know and I know that at the time someone mentioned um, the equity impact statements I think that were coming out of the community health plan I didn't see that terminology specifically um, in the community health plan when I looked through that but um, and I you know looked through literature too to I mean there is some, but nothing very concise and nothing like Steve, you mentioned in terms of a, uh, of a easy to use tool toolkit that would, um, you know, really be able to help us develop that. But I, you know, I do like that idea, you know, if we can, you know, I think staff needs, well, I won't speak, speak for staff, you know, but I would think that in terms of what it is kind of specifically or what lens we're actually you know, talking about on, on different decisions and, and really coordinating with the things that are the rest of the initiatives that are going on in the community, like the, um, you know, like the um, anti-poverty group and the Human Service Coalition and the kinds of things that they're working on. I was um, interested in terms of the strategies that were listed on that cross-cutting focus area on transportation coming out of the, um, the, uh, health plan to reduce poverty about those strategies and how um, how we can you know develop a dialogue between that group and kind of the things that that we do so um, I don't know if there are uh, suggestions maybe from I don't know if Jill's still on on or uh, uh, Valerie if you know as far as um, suggestions for how we can, you know, the communication between that group and, and things that we're doing that would be helpful as far as helping to further what, what this group is, what, what the, um, you know, what the work group is doing um, and, and, and our work, I guess, you know, so that we're not duplicating. And that may be at the staff level in terms of, you know, Kind of keeping us alert to those kinds of things, but are there other mechanisms that you would recommend or that you'd like to see? But I don't know if Jill is still on. I am. I'm thoughtful about assuring that that the work that all of our work is moving in the same direction, 
and that it supports and that and it even better complements one another so it strengthens that work um i don't i don't know whether that's an, an opportunity for for us to have staff that might cross over um okay jill had to leave thank you um and what those opportunities are but i i certainly think that it makes sense to be intentional both intentional about trying to connect those um it would one it'd be terrible if we were at cross if we were at cross with each other in the sense of the things that we were trying to move forward you were trying to go in the other direction that wouldn't make any sense at all um but I, but i can't imagine exactly how that would work but if we could be intentional about working together so that we are able to achieve both of our objectives i think that would be great I don't know what that looks like, but I'm glad to explore it, and I'm sure Joe would too. Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. Maybe the first step is choosing someone who wants to attend their meeting and see how they work um, and see what that looks like. Valerie, do you specifically have I don't know what your steering committee or your structure is for working on development of that plan. You listed a lot of organizations in terms of their engagement. Maybe it's appropriate to have MMTC membership in that process. Like, let's start cross-pollinating in a way that um, we are making sure it's not just relying on staff, that these ideas in terms of your membership is also being tied back into conversations so you can alert each other to those things as they are occurring well i can certainly explore what where and that would be the most strategic um i and we would welcome that i'm not i'm not sure who determines the steering committee for the entire chip but i i do know that work around for example um, access to healthy food and healthy built environment that those are very much open committees that would welcome anyone that would be wanting to come and work on that issue um, I know it's the same thing for the anti-poverty work also, um, but I'm glad to provide connections there and find out a little bit more about how that, how that might work and where the opportunities are. Glad to follow that up. I, uh, I want to jump in here. I think um, following up on what Charlie was, uh, the comments that Charlie had, I think that um, uh, starting to do something is important. Mm -hmm. I think that being part of a steering committee would be fantastic in, in getting to understand the bigger picture. I do think that uh, the toolkit, and Charlie, that was a great uh, analogy to the complete streets. And um, I think that the this kind of toolkit would be something that we would use whereas the complete streets list is more staff and consulting engineers going through a very exhaustive list but i think one of our objectives should be to um you know go back to our smaller committee if that makes sense or maybe add to that committee and take the same approach that we did for complete streets and we met Gee, um, I think over the period of nine months on complete streets, uh, a couple of times a month. And um, at the end of the day, um, uh, Dave and Amanda brought it home, but uh, we, you know, we, we brought it pretty far to get it to the point 
where they could uh, get the last uh, the last mile done. But um, I think that um, it's it's great to repeat myself. It's great to kind of be part of a bigger discussion. But I think that I'm of the opinion that we need to start doing something and find a way to um, to help staff. Uh, help us understand kind of the nuts and bolts of these decisions that we're going to be making right away. So I'm I'm with Charlie on that one. I think I think we need to uh, need to get going. Uh, Charlie Bryant, MMTC Commissioner. So I'm looking at our today's agenda for our meeting that follows the study session, and each agenda item report. You know, it looks like a boilerplate template here. Uh, has an executive summary. Looks like there's a section called alignment to strategic plan. There's a section called fiscal impact. A section called action requested. And I'd, I'd say, would it not be just simple enough addition to add one section that says equity impact? And then it's just a sentence or two sentences I mean, that feels like it starts us to acknowledge that we should be considering the equity impact when we make decisions. It also starts to kind of represent to staff that this is an important element of our decision-making and, you know, gets them further motivated to you know, further improve the operationalizing of that decision. Um, maybe it gets one day to a checklist of some sort. I'd love to see that. But as a starting point, I'd like to just even see a simple sentence that says equity impact. And then, you know, if it says there is no equity impact, I mean, let's let's hear staff say that to us. Um, maybe it invites public reaction to um, staff's interpretation. Maybe it gets all of us to think harder about is there in fact an equity impact? I think there is in nearly every decision. We just don't make it explicit. And I'm asking that we maybe just commit to at least asking for it to be explicit. And we'll likely get it wrong, but I'd rather get it started than be worried about getting it right. Because we'll get it right if we listen and learn from people and we try something. Um, if we don't do anything, that's actually getting it wrong. Thank but you. It, it does, this is Pat Collette, Chair of MMTC. Uh, it does provide a placeholder for it, you know, for that, to open that discussion and keep it in front of us. I, I'd like uh, Dave maybe to weigh in on, on that in terms of what that would mean in terms of, you know, looking at the, the agenda and being able to, you know, put something in place like, like that. Um, uh, for each of the each of the items that are on the agenda. Yes, Dave Cronin, <clears throat> City Engineer. Um, you know, I think we can look to find a way to be intentional to uh, um, make sure that we um, describe how we've uh, used equity in some of the recommendations and decision making. I know it's come up on a lot of different. Um, topics from the sidewalk improvement program to um, school area crossing guards and um, 
so I don't know exactly what format that needs to be in, but at least a start would be, you know, to make sure that we are um, putting something in the memos to describe uh, the uh, that work and thought that we've put into our recommendations. So um, I think we can have further discussions on what maybe how that looks. Um, some of the memos are they are kind of boilerplate memos that we use the same format as the city commission uses and so i think the one of the sections on there is um uh it, it gives us an opportunity to include the outcome areas that the um that the item uh, aligns to in the strategic plan um and you know as one of the um commitments of the city is is equity and inclusion and so we're trying to measure those outcomes in a strategic plan w with uh, the commitments. And, and um, if we can, uh, I think we can, we've noted, I guess, with this discussion and previous discussions um, that we need to keep continuing to think about equity in our decisions. And we'll continue to be uh, cognizant on, on uh, describing those in the memo um, somehow. And so whether it's a, um, a separate section or not, I, I don't know, but um, I think it's uh, something that we can continue to make sure that we are being very transparent on with our decisions and recommendations. Do you think that's something that we could start with the uh, August agenda, is including that, um, that element in each of the um, uh, agenda items? Dave Cronus, the engineer, um, I think we can try to start doing that, yes. Thank you. One other um, uh, comment I wanted to throw in, and this kind of came up at the end of our discussion the other day with Dr. Muhammad with, um, when we were talking about equity and equity impact. Uh, he brought up the, the issue of uh, literacy and um, uh, particularly around the documents and the agendas and the supporting materials of, of um, the things that come out of the out of the commission and making it um, more accessible to um, you know to all levels in terms of, of literacy um, I don't know exactly what that looks like and I I suspect that that is you know Perhaps a citywide initiative, you know that, you know as as we're all, as all of the the commissions are working to um, in that area, you know, with guidance from the, um, you know, from from his office and others uh, to help us with with uh, developing that concept. Is there anything else, Steve, with that that you remember of that discussion? Um, I'm glad you brought that one up. Um, I don't recall anything else, but that was a Certainly a takeaway. Other thoughts or comments or questions from commissioners? Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC commissioner. Uh, David, I just want to say thanks. I know it's not uh, easy to get started in these things, but uh, I appreciate your willingness to try to start something in August. Um, and I, I kind of feel like we all just need to be, you know, eager to see what you want to do and um, provide some, you know, 
feedback to see how well it works. So I, I think getting started is probably the most important step, and I, I appreciate your willingness to do that. Thanks. And I would, I would um, definitely volunteer to keep our committee moving. And um, it's been, uh, if there's anybody else uh, that would like to join us, um, Pat's been present, um, I think, to most, if not all, of our committee meetings. Um, and um, I think if there's someone that would like to commit to a little more consistent um, attendance at those, that would be a good thing too. So uh, please let us know if you'd like to do that, Nick, Aaron, or Charlie. Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC Commissioner. I'm oh, sorry, Pat, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Charlie. I, I was just um, going to suggest, like, I know you guys have been meeting, but would there be some benefit to um, just trying to think who else, like, it sounds like you've already been consulting with certain groups. Like, is there any benefit to trying to um, not institutionalize that, but at least make it more formal? Um, maybe helping with, as staff evolve, kind of how they want to present this to us, they might appreciate having some you know, sounding board before it gets to one of our meetings. Um, so I don't know, just toss it out. Like, I don't know if it has to be a whole bunch of us, but it, it probably is useful to have some um, sustained involvement by some folks that maybe you've already been engaging. Well, really, it's just been um, myself, Gregory, and um, Jessica, Dave, and Pat from, for the most part. And uh, we can certainly, um, you know, continue along those lines. But um, Charlie, if you wouldn't mind, uh, uh, I think we're okay in terms of coma. If you could attend our next meeting, and uh, we won't be tying you down to a longer-term commitment, but um, I think you would you would offer a lot in just getting this thing kicked off and kind of defining where we where we need to go and who we might engage with um if you if you could um, commit to that um i think that would be a great first step and i personally i don't think we're going to solve this in one meeting i think this is going to be a while and i think that's uh, you know that's a good thing this is i'd be happy to oh sorry yeah i just gonna say i'd be happy to help i just um I think there's some people out there we need to also think about engaging. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Um, um, Dave, if you'd like to, Dave and Jessica, if you'd like to get that in our calendar um, before August, it would be good to report back uh, in the August meeting. Yeah, and if I can interrupt really quickly, Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager, I think Valerie is going to depart. Did anybody have any remaining questions for her this evening? I think the the main thing I was just going to say was kind of recapping our action plan and the you know the first was the the addition to the agenda uh, item and the second was continuing the subcommittee and then the third was circling back around to you Valerie as far as recommendations for um, you know if we're the best place to plug in in terms of 
other activities in the community. I think those three action items out of this study session are, are a really good step forward. All right, well then I will look forward to us continuing to work together for common goals. Great, thank you. Thanks for being here today. Great job, Valerie, thank you. All right, any other last comments or questions here? Okay, I think we've completed the, uh, uh, the study session, so we'll adjourn for um, 10 minutes, reconvene at uh, 6.30. Thank you, everybody. Okay, we can uh, uh, reconvene the, the uh, regular meeting. Um, Josephine, do we want to uh, call roll for the, for the uh, beginning of this meeting? Uh, Josephine Gonzalez, MSO. Uh, Charlie Bryan? Here. Steve Evans? Here. Carol Bowen? Here. Nick, Nick Kuzmiak? Here. Uh, Aaron Payton? Here. Patricia Collette? Here. Thank you, Josephine. Uh, this is the uh, uh, July 7th meeting of the MMTC. Uh, we'll open it up with, um, uh, with approving the minutes from the June 7th meeting. Um, everyone had a chance to review those. Any questions or revisions? <laughs> If not, I'd entertain a motion to approve. Hey, Kuzmiak, MMTC. I would motion that we approve the June 7th meeting minutes. Okay, thank you. A second. Steve Evans, second. Thank you. All in favor? Um, I guess we need to do, can we? Can we just do raise of hands? Uh, we'll do the roll call for okay. the approval. Okay. All right. Um, Charlie Ryan? Aye. And Carol Bowen? I abstain. I wasn't at the meeting. Okay. Aaron Payton? Aye. Patricia Collette? Aye. Okay. Five, four, one abstain. Thank you. All right. The, uh, uh, we'll move to uh, public comment. Is there uh, uh, anyone who would like to uh, make, make a comment to the, to the commission? Uh, you're muted, Janet. I I have a couple of comments. If you will entertain them now, certainly. Um, I had some concerns after listening to the staff report last month about the update on the sidewalk improvement plan. Um, I've been very happy that the commission and the city decided to go with more frequently used sidewalks, but. 
they could still do better by focusing on where people in the neighborhoods walk most. I walk a lot, and I can tell you in the East Lawrence and Old West Lawrence neighborhoods, 7th and 8th Street and in East Lawrence, 9th Street get far more traffic than any of the North-South streets. So that's one general comment. Um, well, while this is all on pause, while they figure out to do what to do with the areas that they discovered are bad. And I can tell you that those sidewalks aren't nearly as bad as some other locations. Um, the other concern though, is if you go to 7th or 8th Street in these older neighborhoods, they have far more obstacles than other locations because they have alleys. And I have seen the city spend lots of time and money putting in ramps at street corners only to have drop-offs of four inches or more at the alleys. Hopefully there's a plan for those, but I have not seen or heard anybody mention anything about doing something at the alley intersections with the sidewalks. Um, if you aren't sure what I'm talking about, I would greatly encourage you to take a walk from like 7th and New Jersey on the south side of 7th Street and go west to, if you, if you go all the way to um, Maine, it's a little less than a mile, you will see every imaginable obstacle uh, for pedestrians. And uh, my house faces 7th Street and I see people walking a lot on 7th and Many, many people go by with strollers and so forth, and they frequently go into the street because of the alleys. We also have the bus stop or, you know, the uh, Greyhound and the Amtrak station off of 7th Street. I see people walking by pulling suitcases and they wind up going into the street because of the alleys. So that's that's my main point. I've got lots I could say about sidewalks, but... Um, I hope you have a plan or will develop one on uh, intersections of the sidewalks with the alleys. Thank you. Thanks for your comments, we appreciate it. Any other public comment? Okay, I don't, don't see any, so we'll move on to the next, next item in the regular agenda, and that is to um, recommend receiving the Naismith Mobility Enhancement Project field check plans and provide feedback. Is that, uh, is that Jake? Yes, good evening, Chair and Commissioners. Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager with MSO. Um, yeah, and I'm here tonight to present our field check plans for the Naismith Mobility Enhancement Project. Um, oh, the last time we um, really spoke about this project was last year, um, and that discussion was centered on um, increasing funding to construct shared use path where possible, and that's the exhibit I'm sharing with everybody right now. And um, if you're part of that meeting, this will look familiar to you. Uh, this is also presented, or this may have been presented to the city commission when they approved our five-year plan. Um, but uh, the multimodal commission did recommend um, increasing uh, $50,000 to construct the shared use path where possible. So um, the, the exhibit uh, was what was used to kind of show where we thought those areas were feasible. Uh, blue meaning, hey, we can, we can, we have the right of way here, we can construct a shared use path. 
Um, so just to re-familiarize you with the project before we get into the plan sheets, I wanted to touch on this exhibit one more time. So you've got 23rd here, Street here on the south. We're running along the east side of Naismith. If I jump to the next sheet, we'll see that it terminates at 19th Street on the north side. We do have a couple of orange sections in here where we said we think we can get a shared use path if we're able to acquire an easement. Um, and this will kind of work its way out through our design with a consultant, SBB Engineering. Um, we do have a, a section, a large section of shared use path in here as well. And then, of course, the, the magenta color is just going to be a regular sidewalk, five foot um, or six feet if it is adjacent to the back of curb. Um, other than that, um, before I jump into the plan, Chase is just going to touch on the project schedule. Again, these are field check plans, so we're between 30 and 50% complete. Um, the, the, the tentative schedule we have now is to award this project, I believe, in January of next year and get it constructed by the end of spring. Um, and that's largely going to be uh, dependent upon easement acquisition. So if uh, the necessary easements are acquired sooner, uh, we might see this constructed sooner. Um, otherwise, I think that that timeline is fairly accurate. Now we'll begin looking at the, the plan sheets. I think we've got six or seven of them to look at. This is the first one. We've got 23rd Street here on the south. So as we look to the right, we're looking north. And again, we're on the east side here. Um, so we, we kind of begin connecting to this existing sidewalk here. And um, it looks kind of goofy here right now because the, the consultant didn't tie into the existing sidewalk very well. So that's one of the, the changes that staff will be recommending. So we're not reconstructing something that's already adequate there. Um, but we do begin with a sidewalk here, five foot sidewalk, pardon me, six foot here on the, the back of curb as we get um, to West 22nd Street Terrace and move through. We do have a few, um, I would say tight constraints with the right of way. As we approach West 22nd Street, um, you'll see that our right of way opens up as we get to the north. So this is where our shared use path will begin. And you'll notice that we do kind of have a shared use path width um, sidewalk ramp on the south side of the intersection, um, assuming that we'll be able to acquire any temporary easements that are necessary here, which should not be too much of a problem. Moving north again, we've got our 10-foot shared use path in this wide right-of-way corridor as we approach 21st Street. Um, one change you'll see here is I think that the current transit stop is closer to the corner and working with a property owner in transit, they're moving that just south of the intersection there. Um, it's going to relieve a lot of congestion and um, concern with the property owner there. And I think gives us a, a better spot to construct the, the bus pad. And this is also a location where our shared use path will neck back down the sidewalk width. Um, again, we've got right of way constraints here and a, a very short driveway. Um, moving across the intersection to the north. Again, we've got, a, got some right-of-way concerns here before we're able to jump back up to a, a full-size shared-use path. So if I zoom in a little bit, you'll see we currently are showing an eight-foot shared-use path here with a crossing. my computer let me go to the next sheet so we're continuing with our shared use path as we approach west 20th street um, this is a fairly wide open corridor um, no um, 
real constraints with right away or or property trees or such in this area and then moving north again here we start to get to the, the curved the reverse curve area of Naismith again looking somewhat to the north as we look to the right uh, we've got a lot of trees here and tough right-of-way constraints and steep driveways. So this is where we'll, again, we'll go back down to a sidewalk and try to minimize impacts to these property owners. Um, we'll work with them on the trees as well as our forestry uh, department to minimize impacts to them. Um, we're also kind of being proactive with our water line. We've got some um, existing water line infrastructure in the ground here that is in a uh, terribly great condition. So we're working with uh, internally with city staff to get those relocated prior to our project going in. That way we don't have to tear out a new sidewalk or shared use path. And again, moving to the north. Here we can see 19th Street show up as the, the end of the project on the right side of the sheet. Um, in the exhibit, we did have, did have this shown a shared use path where possible if we can get easement up here. Um, I think there are some areas where we can construct easement if you can follow my cursor, you know, really from this, this ramp to the north, if we adjust the alignment a little bit, we could probably get a shared use path in here and then maybe neck down to an eight-foot shared use path as we approach the corner or a, a potentially and hopefully a, a 10-foot wide um, shared use path with easement. Um, I think uh, just running through those plan sheets will give you a good idea of, of where the project's at. And hopefully if you've got any questions that uh, piqued your interest and you can feel free to ask those to me now, I'd be happy to take a look at those. Charlie, did you have a question? Yeah, this is this is Steve Evans. I have a few. Um, the um, I think we left this also that when Naismith is reconstructed, uh, first question: When do we think that's going to be? And the second question is: The goal would be to make this a ten-foot-wide shared-use path in its entirety um, as part of the Naismith reconstruction jake is that is that what we're thinking uh, jake baldwin engineering program manager yes steve that is still the the concept moving forward that this project is going to construct shared use path where possible and that future project would fill in those gaps that we couldn't get with this project um, i'll have uh, the city engineer dave cronin maybe pipe in here i believe the last time i saw that naismith reconstruction in the cip was with 23 24 but i have not had a chance to look at the the newly proposed CIP. Yeah, this is Dave Kearns, the engineer. Um, it's in the uh, recommended uh, 22 to 26 CIP for construction in 2024. Great. Um, Jake, are there many driveways that you would expect to have cars blocking the sidewalk or shared use path um, uh, just because there's not enough room and uh, um, how likely is that to happen? Sure, uh, Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. Uh, the, the one I'm most concerned with is just south of 21st Street where we relocated the bus stop. Um, I was gonna 
my computer's running somewhat slow right now, so I won't bring that up. Um, I have spoken directly with that property owner, and they're happy with what we're proposing. They're they're actually thrilled about getting the sidewalk here, and they've actually I think they've constructed some additional parking kind of adjacent to their garage, and we'll be able to kind of widen their driveway to help them get that spot. There. So uh, the impacted driveway um, is those folks are are pretty pleased with the project so far. There will be a few others um, towards the north end of the project that will, uh, there's an existing steep grade and we're not gonna be able to solve that with this project, but they're long enough that they'll have plenty of parking. Yeah, that's all I have. This looks, uh, this looks great. I'm glad we found a uh, uh, somewhat creative way to get um, to, get to this, um, this kind of hybrid uh, shared use path along Naismith. This is Pat Collette, uh, Chair MMTC. Uh, Jay, could you talk a little bit about intersection treatments um, along this route? I'm thinking particularly of 21st Street and the Bike Boulevard, and and you know what, um, you know what kinds of impacts that has on on the intersection treatments, or um, is that addressed in, in this in this plan at all? Jake Paul, an engineering program manager. Uh, no, there aren't any, any intersection treatments, uh, just the sidewalk ramps that cross those um, crossing streets. Excuse me, I'm MMTC. Pat, since you asked about it, I want to kind of follow up on this. Um, since a lot of these paths that are crossing streets will essentially be SCPs, is there a plan for green pavement markings? Or the path crosses the street, or is that just not within the budget? Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. Um, I believe we're still working on the policy on where that green pavement's going to go, so I'm not sure how that would play into this project. Um, but I would like to think that the, the budget could handle green pavement if it um, you know is in line with that policy. Thanks. And if so if it's not being constructed until January, is there likelihood that that, that policy um, will be, can we expect that that policy would be completed before that so that it could be uh, integrated into, into these intersections as far as the way this is done or? This is Dave Cronus, the engineer. If there's a, um policy in place, um, we could make the change to the plans to reflect uh, that policy. So we've had some discussions on um, starting with, uh, not to get off completely off the subject of this project, but having a consultant review uh, criteria for uh, the uh, green pavement markings and how we would go about that treatment. So. We don't have anything to report yet. It's something that we have on our uh, work plan for this year. If there's any thing that comes out of that that we could implement with this project before construction, that we would do that. Thank you. Other comments or questions on these on these plans? Hey, Kuzmiak, MMTC. At a Another question here. Um, Jake, I seem to recall at one point there was like a railing that was required for certain parts of this uh, path. Is that, I don't know if I'm 
recalling this correct, but I, I feel like we had a conversation over just a rail issue, which is kind of new to me. Um, I don't see any of those in the plan. So either, if, am I remembering incorrectly or did something change to not require those anymore? Uh, Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. Um, I, I don't know if you're thinking of our 29th street in Delaware with a Lawrence Loop project. That's where the shared use path is less than two feet from the back of curb then we required to have a railing. Um, I don't recall the specifics. Um, I know we do have a few uh, pieces here adjacent to the back of curb with just sidewalk. But yeah, we're currently not showing any railing in the plan. That makes sense. So I guess where you had the least amount of room to work with, it wasn't going to be an SCP anyway. It was just going to be a sidewalk. So therefore you don't have to have a railing there, I guess. Yes, for the guidelines. Okay, thanks. Uh, Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC. I have kind of a broader question here. I, I feel like we've probably gone over this before the last time we talked about this project, but I can't remember all the details. So I was hoping somebody could remind me. Did we maybe ask and explore about going down to just a single lane and putting a protected bike lane or SCP on Naismith? Um, I don't, um, I was looking in the GIS um, that was prepared for MMTC folks. Um, just trying to see if I could kind of suss out traffic counts and see if there was maybe, you know, was this like a major, major arterial or is it just kind of large and doesn't actually see that much like traffic? I couldn't really tell. And obviously it's way too late in the design phase for this one, but just kind of, I'd be curious to know the opportunities in the future for road diets where there is maybe a possibility for that. Um, so I, I guess in terms of what answer I'm looking for is, <laughs> um, how can we sort of bring this point up in the future at the portion of the design where it's actually appropriate? This is Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, with this specific project, um, it's kind of more geared towards uh, completing the missing sidewalk gap. Um, and so we didn't really have a discussion on, well, you know, we're, we're not putting in the, just the, just the bike facility, which you could potentially do if you were to, uh, reconfigure the lanes and have an on-street bike facility. So this is more of a, you know, both a uh, pedestrian connection um, that was um, identified uh, as a need through the uh, AIC KDOT grant, transit grant that we got to, to do the project. And since this uh, segment is on our bike network um, and uh, you know, we had that discussion with this, uh, with the MMTC back, I think before we submitted the application about increasing the width to a shared use path, just to um, also get at completing that gap in the bikeway network. So when the uh, street project um, proceeds with reconstructing the street, we could have a conversation on on the, uh, the lane widths and um, if we wanna have a, some other sort of bicycle facility at that time, but um, we didn't have that discussion or debate between, uh, with this grant project that we got. Thanks, that makes sense. I guess in, futures, um, in future projects that involve kind of road reconfiguration, yeah, that's a more appropriate time to bring that up, so sounds good. Other questions or comments? All right. Uh, 
We're ready to move on. Looks like we are. And we don't need a. Uh, I would ask, uh, yeah, for um, Commissioner Collette, this is Dave Crone in the public comment. Oh, yeah, I see that now. Thank you. Um, go ahead, Michael. Hi, good evening. Michael Allman with Sustainability Action Network. Um, I think this looks really good as far as it's come along so far. And I really appreciate the commission um, uh, encouraging, I should say, uh, engineering staff to be creative in this, as Commissioner Evans pointed out. Um, sustainability action has been pushing for a shared use path in this area of what right now is a goat path for about five, six years. And it's good to see that that engineering staff has figured out a way to do it. Um, as far as Commissioner Kuzmiak's question about the um, right sizing of the street from four lanes to two lanes of motor vehicles, um, at various times in the, in the development of this project, the 19th Street Neighborhoods Coalition has indicated opposition to a right sizing of this street here with on-street bicycle lanes. First of all, being that white stripe bicycle lanes are not particularly safe, but mostly because the coalition is concerned about mostly like game day traffic, but traffic in general going on 19th Street, which is highly residential uh, type of a street, even though it's classified as a collector. Um, so we want Naismith to remain four lanes so much of KU traffic continues to 23rd Street, which is the arterial. Um, as far as green pavement markings go, uh, I could point out that Sustainability Action Network proposed specifically green pavement markings on this section in the 2022 Capital Improvement Plan and engineering staff and the budget uh, review committee rejected that. I don't know why. I'd be curious to find a reason why that happened, but we proposed it and it's, it's right there in the CIP listed as unfunded. Um, green pavement marking should also be across 19th Street as long as we're doing it. That's probably the most important green pavement markings that could go in this. Um, and I had a question about the right-of-way acquisition uh, between, uh, let's see, 19th Terrace and 19th. Um, the right-of-way from curb to the property line is about 10 feet. So I assume that's an area that you're talking to that apartment uh, property owner. Um, but south of there, from 20th Street to 19th Terrace, um, when, the street, when the street itself is reconstructed, I would assume also, and I, and I like answer to both of these, I assume the, uh, I think it's about, uh, let's see here, uh, 18 foot wide median would be narrowed to accommodate a wider space uh, for the shared use path on the side. Now, am I, are my assumptions correct from 20th to 19th Terrace and from 19th Terrace to 19th Street? And thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for a good job. 
Thank you, Michael. Uh, Jake, can, can you answer those questions or in terms of the of those two segments that he just asked about? Um, Jake Fallen, Engineering Program Manager. Um, uh, Michael, correct on the, the north side of the apartment complex. Yes, we would we would attempt to acquire easement as necessary to construct shared use path with this project. In terms of the, the block there between West 19th and to the south, um, nearing the meeting, I, I think that would just be an option that's considered during reconstruction. I don't think we could say one way or another if that's the definite way to go at this point. Thank you. Other questions from commissioners? Uh, Carol, go ahead, please. Commissioner Bowen, um, I believe I heard Michael Allman say something about a project on the on the CIP list. Why did we never see it? If it was something green marking, I don't remember what it was, but I, I just got hung up on the, why wasn't it passed by this commission? This is Dave Cronin, <clears throat> city engineer. Um, I believe there's- um, Mr. Allman has submitted a project through the city's CIP process, a citizen request um, and that process can include transportation projects or any other uh, uh, capital improvement projects, those requests. And so um, the citizen requests that were received were scored using the prioritization guidelines um, that were developed uh, a couple years ago um, against all other projects. And those uh, scores were used to prioritize the projects in the uh, recommended CIP. So um, the, the uh, MMTC does not review the citizen requests for CIP projects. Um, if it was a, a bike ped specific project, um, those sorts of projects, you know, have been coming to the MMTC, MMTC is part of the, that program and the prioritization of those projects, but this was submitted to, through the city's CIP. Commissioner Bowen, um, I think we are such a new commission that we need to be rethinking some of the processes so that the commission is involved with transportation decisions. Uh, Dave Cronin, Commissioner Collette, if you're trying to speak, you're on mute. Sorry. Um, I just asked if there were other, other comments. All right, let's move on to the next, uh, next item on the agenda. And that is um, uh, recommend approval of the updated Lawrence Safe Routes to School Plan. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. I'm going to take a second to share my screen. This is a memo that was included um, as an attachment. 
um, in your agenda packet. And we wanted to call attention to the fact we we have been notified um, of the decision earlier this year of evolving Kennedy Element or Kennedy Elementary into Kennedy Early Childhood Community Center, and thus dividing the current um, Kennedy students between Cordley, Prairie Park, and New York. We were provided a few weeks ago from USD 497 anonymized student addresses, um, so we could be able to evaluate the density of clusters of students um, that are attending each of the new proposed schools um, to evaluate them in the consistent format with the Safe Routes to School working group that we did during the Safe Routes to School planning process. We followed really the trend of what we would anticipate would happen under a future school area traffic control policy, recognizing this change is happening before that policy can be adopted. And so through that process, we are bringing back consideration for your approval, this update to the Safe Routes to School planning process. Um, out of the schools, um, only two of the um, new the new um, schools that students will be reallocated to um, had student densities that extended uh, far beyond their um, current route structure. And so here you can see Prairie Park and Cordley's um, existing routes um, in black, the, um, the routes that were pre-Kennedy changes, including the Kennedy routes um, in this central area, um, based on the what you can see in the underlayment and the change of the of the boundaries. Um, this pink area is going to Prairie Park to the south, and we are proposing the addition of this routing um, to get students um, into um, that school and um, up 19th Street um, to the west um, into Cordley. Um, based on those proposals, these are the recommended removal of Kennedy, previously Kennedy school projects from the Safe Routes to School projects list, a modification of this bike project, um, noting that it was a Kennedy project and it would still remain a Prairie Park project, and then the addition of these projects to meet the goals within the Safe Routes to School plan of sidewalk on both sides for collector and arterial streets and sidewalks on one side for local streets, although there was no local streets added in this. Um, they're all collector and arterial streets. So um, this would probably be the second side of, of many of these you can see here in terms of adding um, for these uh, three sidewalk sections. So those would be projects that after adoption by city commission and that your consideration would be added to uh, scored projects and non-motorized prioritization. This amendment also includes a uh, Language change requested as part of our continued conversation with USD 497 um, in our process to work through the establishment of a memorandum of understanding between the city of Lawrence and USD 497. There's concern from school board members um, that they believe that the, the Safe Routes School Plan is the city's responsibility when they elected not to adopt the plan in January of 2015. Um, as a result, in trying to formalize the working group, they are concerned that there are recommendations included in the plan that use the language that USD 497 should do something. And they have requested that those should be changed to shalls um, so we can further progress with um, some amended language in a proposed uh, memorandum of understanding to move forward into a formal agreement to work together to some of the mutually beneficial um, 
challenges and goals in the Safe Routes to School plan. And we believe um, that's in all of our interest to continue moving forward on that. And um, since it's not a USD 497 adopted plan, um, there's nothing that changing this language should impact in terms of our ability to continue to work together. We viewed kind of all those future decisions around funding and policy recommendations, regardless of separate um, conversations and decisions we would need to have through the working group and then each of the structural processes uh, for decision making. This um, chart provides a summary of all the pages um, that were that will be changed um, as part of the changes that are described in this summary. And then each of the pages, um, you know, you can see here the old and new maps. Um, removal of Kennedy School as a listing. Um, and I won't necessarily go through all of these, but every place um, we've revised where we could, the references to um, area boundaries, students, density, routing um, for this plan update. I'd be happy to entertain any questions you may have um, about what we're proposing tonight as this school, um, this Safe Routes to School Plan Amendment. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, this is Pat Collette, uh, MMTC Chair. Um, the MOU that you referenced, is that the same MOU that we're working on for the that in, for the crossing guard uh, decisions? Was that, um, or is that a separate MOU? Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager, there's only one MOU. Okay. Um, there is no MOU specifically for school crossing guards. The MOU that we're trying to establish um, is to formalize the working group um, that was created around safe routes to school planning um, when we began this plan development process um, that the MPO led um, the last few years. We've had an informal work group and we've wanted to formalize it. Mm -hmm. um, you'll notice also in the future conversations around school area traffic control policy, which um, we'll bring back in August, that there are some references to that formal working group that we hope to establish um, that have a role in some of those safe routes to school processes. Okay, great. Thank you. When I looked at that plan, I looked at it fairly um, quickly in terms of the changes of the of the routes and such, but was there a net, net increase in terms of the mileage for for routes? It looked like th there was a, an increase overall. There's a small net increase. Okay. I don't, I think the memo said the exact number. I'd have to go look. I don't recall it off the top of my head okay. at this moment. But in as far as that's concerned, I think we've never capped the um, yeah, it, so it removes 1.5 miles of Kennedy routes and adds a mile to Cordley and a mile to Prairie Park routes. So some of those are the same segments. So it's not removing some of them are stay, but that's kind of the net. So there's a net increase of about a half mile of routes. Um, we've never really set a cap on those routes. We've tried to establish routes where there's a reasonable expectation that students would uh, feed in with there's enough density in that school within the school population for each school that the students would feed in um, kind of in a walk shed fashion to prioritize routes um, for gap infill and for other improvements um, where we can expect a larger number of students to be walking or biking. But we've never had a cat. We didn't have, say, oh, could only be this much per school or anything like that. We just tried to find what's the appropriate network to make sure that we had a primary function established. Yeah, that seems like a okay. reasonable and good approach. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Other, other questions or comments from commissioners? 
Carol, go ahead, please. Um, I have a question on, um, well, it, it was kind of a policy that was discussed early on when the commission on the radius of curvature and of special concern was the radius of curvature on corners by schools because when you round off those corners, when you smooth them out, cars creep around the corner and they're not looking at pedestrians. Um, I'd like to bring that up again. I don't know if it's a policy or a standard or what it is, but I hear we're going to be doing some more intersections because of this, and I think we need to be aware of it. Other comments? Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. I, Jessica, I was wondering on the table, uh, percentage of students by distance from school. I see that Kennedy Elementary will be removed. Is that, how does that impact the percentage for the other schools that are going to be impacted? Or is that data not available yet? Like Prairie Park already has about 40% of students that live within one mile. And I'm assuming it's going to change that. So it'll be a it was, bigger percent that are further away. Yes, I think that's possible. Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. We prepared this um, after getting the data from the school district and only had a couple of weeks to do that to okay. get that prepared. I would anticipate we'll update those analysis because we're tracking some of that understanding in relationship to seeing how changes in percentage of students walking and biking comes in the student data. I think that will be particularly important for some of those schools that we would anticipate maybe seeing a change um, as a reality of the fact that some of those students, a larger percentage, possibly live farther from school now. Thank you. I think that it will be a continued reality of boundary conversations. Other questions or comments? So Jessica, when you were talking about the, I guess the changes to the text, I, I was a little bit confused because I thought you said things went from should to shall, but in the text it said from shall to should. So I guess the first question is, which way is it? And then the second question is, could you give a little bit more detail on what those those clauses were? And the reason I ask is because after talking about the crossing guard thing, where in the school district benefits from something that the city pays for, but the school itself does not actually pay into or contribute and actively blocks volunteers to become junior crossing guards, I kind of worry a little bit about letting USD 497 off, kind of off the hook for something that very clearly benefits them. Yeah, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. I've only just briefly re-skimmed the conversation, but there are partic the USD 497's particular concerns, and it, it would be the plan currently says shall do um, in regard to a few statements around USD 497, and those they would like to say should um, in the sense that they haven't adopted the plan 
anyway, they haven't committed themselves to implementing safe routes um, in the same that, and we're working to try to get everybody to the same table and for a formal working group. And I, we feel like that's our biggest interest. Um, but you are right um, that school crossing guards tend, it has been, and I think will be, and we'll probably talk about it more uh, with a little bit with the next item, but also in, in next month that um, I don't think regardless of if we have shall or should in this plan, because it's only the city that's adopted it, that we would be able to tell the school district that anyway, these are all going to need to be each of the policy decisions that are recommendations in this plan um, require additional work to make progress on implementing. So the conversation we're having about school area traffic control policy is one example of that. Um, of course, if it's a if it says shall and it's something that the city shall do and we're working on implementing it, then it has a little bit of a different context because the city has adopted that plan legally. Um, and so I'm not sure that in order to move forward, I think it's in our best interest to make those changes I'm sure they're, you're right though, they're, the idea of cost sharing, that's one of the ideas in the plan that I know that um, USD 497 is not necessarily interested in, although it's something the working group proposed as an option. Um, also volunteer guards, that's another one um, that we proposed as an option to fill gaps, particularly it's something we asked parents about um, if the expectations for guards exceeded um, the warrants um, or the financial capacity to, for the program, would a volunteer program be eligible? And I, you know, USD 497 school board members have expressed um, no interest in operating a volunteer oriented program or the capacity to do so. So I think those would need to be continued conversations as we move forward if we want to make progress on safe routes to school. Excuse me, MMTC. So I just want to make sure I understand. It sounds like then the idea is that we really just need to get them to the table first. And these concessions are kind of that way to kind of ease them into a more formalized working group. And then at that stage, you know, ideally, once they realize that they are stakeholders and they should contribute, perhaps then we can convince them to kind of chip in their fair share. Um, but at this point, that might be pushing a little bit too hard then. Yeah. Jessica okay. Moringer, Transportation Planning Manager. I think we need everyone at the table and we believe a formal agreement helps us formalize the process that we have loosely been working under during plan development. We believe that formalizing that and bringing them to the table in that way and under a legal agreement um, brings more validity to the fact that we are all players in responsibility, have varying responsibilities with safe routes to school. Okay, if there are any other questions, if, if not, I'd entertain a motion to um, um, to uh, recommend approval of the updated Lawrence Safe Routes to School Plan. Harley Bryan, MMTC. I move to recommend approval of the updated Lawrence Safe Routes to School Plan. Thank you, Charlie. Is there a second? I second. Bowen. Thank you. Okay. Um, Pat, this is Steve Evans. Um, huh? we, we need to catch our public comment um, before we take oh. that next step. Okay, yeah. So if you just back up a little bit, Michael's uh, got his hand up. Yeah, thank you. I, I didn't see that. Thank you. Uh, Michael, go ahead. Hi, thank you, Commissioner Evans. <laughs> uh, this is Michael Allman. Um, 
I had, I'm, I'm trying to understand the terminology in the chart of which projects are deleted, which are modified, which are added. Uh, two particular ones, uh, B21 and B23. B21 Harper Street, bicycle. And then B23 Haskell Avenue, bicycle. Um, and the comfort level for bicyclists of four or four and five. I'm not, what is the explanation of what's going on there for bicycles? I mean, is it going to be widened to a 10 foot wide shared use path? Hopefully, I'd like to see that. And I just wanna know what, what you have in mind there because there's, there's definitely right of way in both cases to do that. So if somebody could clarify that, I would appreciate it. Sure. Jessica Morton, your transportation planning manager. So in this Safe Routes to School plan, it was the first time we added bike projects and we explored um, opportunities where the bikeway network overlapped with safe routes um, and it was a prioritized network components. Um, we saw identifying them in the Safe Routes plan as the opportunity to open up their eligibility for transportation alternatives funding from KDOT for Safe Routes to School projects for bike projects, which we have not yet done. Um, there is not a specific uh, facility type identified there yet. As you know, when we um, put those projects in the non-motorized prioritization for bike projects, um, we look at those level of comforts, which are four and four and five. Those are the current level of comforts. And so under the bikeway plan, we would be looking at three or lower. Um, and so most likely because of the nature of both of those facility types, you would be looking at separation, likely major separation. So um, cycle track or shared use path would be likely, although those re will require engineering analysis to decide appropriate bikeway types um, as those projects are costed and prioritized in the non-motorized prioritization list. Hopefully that answers your question, Michael. Uh, yeah, that does. And I, okay. I applaud you for very creative uh, uh, funding exploration from KDOT. KDOT should be paying for a lot more of our stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Let's go back to the, the, um, the motion. We have a motion from Steve Evans, correct? And a second from Carol Bowen. I think Charlie actually did oh, the motion. Charlie? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, Charlie. And then second from Carol. Um, and we can um, just, uh, Josephine, can you do the roll call for approval of that? Josephine Gonzalez and myself. Uh, Steve Evans. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Nick Kuzmiak. Aye. Aaron Payton. Aye. And Patricia Collette. Aye. You get Carol. And Carol. Oh, second. Bowen. Aye. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Carol Bowen. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's move on to the item three. Uh, recommend the temporary relocation of the adult crossing guard from Harper Street and Davis Road to Harper Street and 23rd Street, pending authority in the 2022 budget process and require further evaluation after the 23rd reconstruction project is complete. That, um, 
Justin Smith with the MSO. So this is kind of the the second part of the what we're talking about here with uh, Kennedy transitioning to an early childhood center from an elementary school. Um, so we just talked about how we had a, revisited our safe routes associated with those impacted schools and just approved that or approved recommending that. Um, so then the this part is the uh, adult crossing guards. Uh, currently Kennedy has two guards, uh, one at 19th and Harper, one at Harper and Davis. And so this item would recommend uh, maintaining the existing crossing guard at 19th and Harper because as we noted in the previous item, we extended the safe route um, to uh, accommodate students uh, north of 23rd Street to make it to uh, Prairie Park now instead of Kennedy. And so this guard would s still serve that safe route at 19th and Harper because the route continues east on 19th uh, from the intersection. And then we're also recommending a temporary relocation for the existing guard at, at Harper and Davis, uh, which is kind of right in front of Kennedy right now, uh, helps cross students across Harper uh, right in front of the school. school. So we recommend temporary relocating that guard to 23rd and Harper, uh, signalized intersection for the students uh, that are now going to Prairie Park that are going to have to cross 23rd Street. And uh, we would uh, then reevaluate that after the reconstruction of 23rd Street is complete, which is uh, anticipated to begin this fall and would continue probably into the 2022-2023 the school year for the, the construction project on 23rd Street. So then we would reevaluate after that. Um, I think those are kind of the, the details I wanted to cover. I'll, I'll see if Jessica wanted to, to add anything before we take questions. Well, that looks pretty straightforward. Any questions from commissioners or comments? Charlie Bryan, MMTC. I'm just curious about the fiscal impact statement. Um, is I'm assuming this is something that if it occurred, it would begin in the fall. I mean, the beginning of the school year. So wasn't the crossing guard already accounted for in the 2021 budget? But this, I guess, that, is that statement saying that if it's not approved in the 2022 budget, the money won't be expended this year either? Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager. I think that's where we would have to negotiate with parking staff to evaluate the situation. Ideally, this is cost neutral because these two card guards existed um, and our, our budget year is on a calendar year, whereas their school year is a split. Um, so I think that's a, a conversation we'll have to have depending on the decision, I think. Future, I mean, we wanted to get this addressed, right, in regard to Kennedy School, but recognize that there is still the crossing guard, adult, you know, adult crossing guard portion of the school area traffic control policy, and then which could make financial impacts to both 21 and 22. And secondly, 
um, both up or down, depending on the conversation, right? And then there is the reality of what happens in the city budget process. So, so I think there's two things that could impact it. Just to clarify, is the expectation that a crossing guard would be in place in the fall, regardless of the 2022 budget? Or would it literally be contingent on the 2022 budget, whether there's someone there this fall? Well, I think I guess you could make that, Jessica Mortinger, Transportation Planning Manager, you could clarify that in your motion. I think our intent was if they commit to it in 2022, it would be for the school year for 21 to 22. But you can make that clarification in your motion if you'd like. Okay, thank you. But there's definitely funding in there for the fall of 21. Is, is that what you're saying? I mean, because that was just moving, that had already, that funding had already been allocated for um, Correct. Harper and Davis, and it's just moving now um, to um, 23rd Street. Okay. So the question is what happens after January of 22? Okay, are we ready to make a motion to uh, approve this this change? Is, is there any public comment on this? See any? Well, I'd like to have some more discussion before we vote, if that's possible. Okay, okay. go ahead. <clears throat> I was just trying to get the questions out of the way. Um, Charlie Bryant, MMTC. I, I'm really... Um, just to go deeper into why I asked the question about the budget, it, it feels like that's um, just a bigger question. If there's a if there's a budget issue that this program uh, needs to face, I guess it seems premature to decide which location gets cut. Um, that's why I'm just kind of struggling with this one. I would think that crossing 23rd Street would be fairly significant um, concern to a lot of parents that have their kids walk into an elementary school. And, you know, it, if there's already funding in the 2021 budget, I hope the very least we'd do is move the crossing guard that's already funded get some data to kind of identify whether kids are actually crossing with the crossing guard in place. And then if the funding's cut, look at the entire system of crossing guards and figure out what's the best, you know, strategy to go forward. Yeah, this is Dave Cronin, city engineer. I would just chime in and say we don't <clears throat> have any indication that the budget will be cut the program and this decision has is not in relation to the budget of the program just uh, an action that we wanted to take ahead of the fall school year to move the existing approved school crossing guards um, the one to the uh, 23rd and Haskell and then retain the other one um, if you know in in, in the future if whether it's next year or beyond, if we if we need to prioritize the crossing guards um, 
based on the budget, there could be a conversation on the need and, and the priority of all of the crossing guards and which ones are most important, but we're not, we're not there yet. We're not there tonight. So I think at the next meeting, we're going to bring back, um, some criteria to, uh, help evaluate all the crossings or, or, uh, kind of better stratify or rank them based off the conversations that we received at last month's meeting. Um, and, um, and then just de depending on the budget for the program that may impact how many crossing guards we can fund, but you know, we, we don't know that at this point and we're not, um, making any of these recommendations based off potential funding. We just wanted to note that in the fiscal impact that um, just because we're moving the crossing yard there doesn't necessarily mean it shall remain there in perpetuity. It's all based off, off funding, but our intention is to have it funded. But Charlie, is your point that really in terms of um, kind of uh, signaling in the fiscal impact statement that this one is contingent on funding. It really is the entire program that's contingent on funding level, and so that that we don't that that statement of fiscal impact doesn't isn't necessarily tied to this particular location, and and that would be a discussion you know at next month's meeting in terms of overall um, you know overall crossing guard program. Um, is, is that what you're getting at, that, that having that fiscal impact for that per, one particular intersection is, is pulling that out from the, from the rest of the mix in terms of prioritization? Uh, Charlie Bryant, MMTC. I, I mean, I, I just want to make sure that we're clear that the questions around whether there's a change in the, over, in the crossing guard budget that that ought to be considered in its totality. Um, feels to me like what we're really recommending is moving a crossing guard from one location to another. And no one, no one would assume that that also suggests that they have some special status to get funding. I think equally they shouldn't have some um, Kind of temporary sense that there may not be funded so perhaps i'm reading through it you know too far into this yeah well but i think, perhaps the, I think the important the important part of the recommendation that's proposed is that the look the relocation occur and that data is used to evaluate mm -hmm. you know the importance so of that the, location yeah. Perhaps the motion could strike that pending authority in the 2022 budget process. Would that get at your question? I don't know that it's necessary. I just I just want to be clear. Like if this comes down to a decision that's predetermined because the budget gets cut, I'd hope we would all kind of have a broader discussion. Okay. That's all. This is Dave Cranston, engineer. I would be perfectly fine with removing. I, I be with removing the pending authority in the 22 budget process. The intent of this actions to move the move the crossing guard um, and, and reevaluate it on whatever criteria we we land on with uh, with uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, adult crossing guard criteria in, in the future after the project's complete. And so um, I, I would be fine if, if, if uh, removing the pending authority in the 22 budget process from the action. Okay. Um, Carol, did you have a comment? Yes, I did. I kind of, I think maybe it's kind of the same thing that Charlie was thinking about. I watched the last meeting, the June meeting. Uh, it was very interesting, a lot of good discussion. But I walked away thinking walkers are the most vulnerable form of transportation and children are the most vulnerable of the vulnerable. Why are we being so stingy in making it safe for them to get to school? It just There's something wrong with our philosophy. Uh, and it's not our commission, it's just the way things have played out and I we need to reverse it somehow because it just doesn't sound right thank you uh, would someone like to make a motion uh, Charlie Bryant MMTC I move to recommend the temporary relocation of the adult crossing guard from the Harper Street and Davis Road to Harper Street and 23rd Street and require further evaluation after the 23rd Street reconstruction project is complete. Thank you. Is there a second? Guzmec, MMTC. I'll second the motion. Thank you. Josephine, can you uh, call the roll? Okay. Um, uh, Steve Evans? Aye. Carol Bowen? Aye. Nick Kuzmiak? Sorry. Aye. Uh, Aaron Payton? Aye. Patricia Collette? Aye. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, item four, discuss a hybrid meeting format to allow MMTC members to attend in person for future meetings. Uh, Dave, would you like to address this? Sure, Dave Cronin, uh, city engineer. Um, so the, the city commission has begun um, meeting in what we're calling a hybrid meeting format, um, which means that they are attending in person. And so we have here in the city commission room, it's um, um, set up so that at the five city commission seats, there's a camera so that um, as they are here present at the meeting, they are also interact interacting virtually. And so um, we are um, going forward with maintaining a virtual option for the public, for public participation. Um, and and a virtual option for uh, staff that is presenting items uh, with the city commission and um, <clears throat> wanted to have a conversation with with the board about um, get your thoughts on um, a hybrid meeting format um, the the one uh, thing i would note that that's a challenge with the setup in here is that um, it is just set up for five um, commissioners so if we um, if if the board would like to start meeting in person or attending in person 
Um, if more than five wanted to do that, we would need to work um, up out a plan to alternate between months to make sure that we um, uh, don't exceed five uh, commissioners here in person. And so I think um, I haven't had anyone express to me the uh, the need to be back here in person. Um, and generally we've, um, you know, I, I think as time goes on, we'll continue to work out, uh, you know, how we hold uh, meetings with, with the boards and see how things go to see if there's um, any any other way to get more uh, commissioners in here in person in the future. But for now, the room is set up so that we could have um, commissioners here in person. Um, we, uh, you know, with the, with the policy of uh, um, City Hall and, and you'd be required to wear a mask if you're not vaccinated. Um, and same as with individual members of the public that attend the meeting in person. Um, but other than that, um, I think generally speaking, we've, I think the recommendation for boards would be to continue meeting virtually. Uh, um, I think it's um, worked pretty well um, and um, we, would, we will still be providing virtual options going forward for um, members of the public to participate. Um, and um, yeah, just, I guess wanted to get thoughts from from the members on your uh, thoughts on wanting to attend in person or continue on virtually. And so um, we're, we're calling it a hybrid meeting format, which um, so we're still would would have we'll have be broadcasting the meetings over Zoom regardless. Um, but we do have the ability now to have in-person um, uh, for the commissioners to attend these meetings. So um, wanted to just have a discussion on it since it's um, kind of started, I guess, last night with the city commission meeting. So I guess this I'll is uh, this is Commissioner Evans. Uh, Dave, like. Um, the situation you guys have, there's the, um, I guess, the panoramic view where we see the three of you um, at the table. And then when you speak, there's the ability to zoom in um, to the individual that's speaking. Would that be the case if there were five people there? Um, or would you pretty much be looking at um, the view that we see, which is the panoramic view of you guys? on the table. Uh, this is Dave Cronin, city engineer. <clears throat> I believe you would see the view, it, you know, if it was a city, if it was a, a multimodal transportation commissioner here in person, you would see the view from the camera. Um, it, would, it would, it could be both. Um, we have, you know, Kurt's in here operating the camera for the room. And so he takes different shots of, um, of people as they're speaking. So I think it would be either a shot from one of the cameras here or or the camera that's on the computer. Um, so it would probably be a little different um, than just, 
you know, right now everyone's just using their own camera. So um, I would, you know, I don't know if that answers your question or not, Steve. I think you would still, you, we would still see you on the Zoom screen with the camera uh, here at the, uh, that's up on, um, up on the podium or at the desk. But but the uh, the panoramic picture would be probably pretty similar to the way it is. Well, I uh, my two cents would be um, I think we shouldn't all be live or we should all be on Zoom. And I think if I were trying to facilitate the meeting, probably ask Pat uh, what her preference may be. But um, I think it would be more difficult to keep everybody on the same page and keep the communication consistent um, if there were two different two different uh, media more or less yeah technology wise i'm sure it could be handled but i'm just thinking about the logistics of you know who's who's going to be in there in august and who's going to be in september and as people's you know at the last minute can't attend a meeting and so they plan to be in person my my preference would be continue uh with the with the zoom meetings the way we have been until things shake out a little bit more and we know you know if we can be all be in person again but um you know i mean certainly you know if someone really prefers to <laughs> to be in person that probably could be accommodated uh, you know i, I it's not sounding like all of us are going to, you know, be vying for, you know, time at the in person. So, um, but my preference would be to continue with with the Zoom meetings for now. You know, we don't, you know, with the with the uh, um, Delta variant and those kinds of things, we don't, you know, I I don't, I'm, I want to make sure we're really we have processes in place that, that we can keep with, you know, and if we change it and then we have to change back, I, I would just assume keep it the way it is. Any other thoughts from commissioners about your preference? Uh, this is Charlie Bryant, MMTC. I, um, I appreciate the effort the city's making to provide, an, you know, kind of a, a move back toward what we used to do. Uh, and I think we we need to um, I think we need to be responsive to that. So I'm I'm more I'm inclined more to say let's, let's go forward and try to do this. Um, I know that you know not everybody wants to be in person, so we need to accommodate everybody. So if our group doesn't want to do that, then. That also is fine, but if there are some members that want to, I think it's probably time to let them have that option. I was kind of wondering more of a technical question. Um, when I'm looking at the panoramic, it looks like anybody that's uh, sitting at the commission table would be looking at the backsides of staff. And um, would that would that be the arrangement or would you um, turn to face the uh, MMTC members. 
Yes, yeah, is Dave Crones, the engineer. The arrangement would be the same. I don't know if necessarily if uh, I think whoever's running the meeting would be here facing the front. Um, staff could be on some of the side tables, um, <clears throat> but there would be uh, someone here at the table. So the room arrangement um, would not change from board to board. So that's, um, you know, as we start, start out with this, um, and we just have the five uh, seats at the desk behind me with with the cameras and and the and this layout that's the kind of the arrangement that we're trying to keep because there's so many different boards with so many different number of members and needs and you know, we're trying to be consistent um, based off the technology we have in the setup um, so there would be at least one person here one or two at these desks and then potentially other staff could be at some of the side tables well, I think it'd be, I don't know how difficult it would be to have um, staff facing the um, MMTC members, but that would feel less awkward for those of us that are coming back to in-person. And then maybe it's just a matter of adding another camera so you can face the MMTC members and the camera is still facing you. I don't know how, I don't know, I didn't pay enough attention to the city commission meeting last night. I know they were doing it and I was watching for a while, but I didn't see a panoramic shot for the period that I was watching it. Dave, didn't I, did I hear you say though that the, the city commission was recommending basically that advisory committees continue virtually or, or did I misunderstand that? <clears throat> This is Dave Crunz, an engineer. I don't think it wasn't the city commission was rending it. I think um, um, our communications group, as we start start out with uh, seeing how it works, um, kind of said, you know, if it's been working well, uh, you know, have the discussion with the with the board. But if it's been working generally, we'd recommend um, staying in a virtual option. But um, we are open to, you know, if, if, you, if there are members that want to be here in person, um, we have that ability now. Um, and so, um, you know, if, I think it's been working well. And so if um, we, we don't have to make a decision tonight um, that will lock us down into virtual for the rest of the year we can wait a, wait another month and see how it see how it's working and see what other boards are doing and how it works and and revisit the discussion but um, since it is an option just wanted to kind of throw it throw it out on the table and um, I would say um, that we uh, I, I think logistically it's it's easier for us to organize with having more than five members um, on our board that if we were to meet in person, it would there would be some organization on who who's meeting this month in person, who's meeting next month and keeping track of that. So for those reasons, I think uh, we would recommend continuing virtual. Charlie Bryan, MMTC. I guess I don't imagine that we're going to have a problem with that. So to me, it seems like if you have someone who wants to be there in person, 
there ought to be an accommodation made for them. If all of us want to be there, that's when you're going to have a problem. I don't, from this reaction, it doesn't sound like that's an issue. And, you know, there's only nine of us. So when there's suddenly five of us there, I guess you'd have that problem. So in my head, it's like, it doesn't hurt to say if someone wants to do it, they can go in person. If it's more convenient, their internet works better, you know, to be there instead of at their home or for whatever reason, they would rather do the work at the at City Hall. Well, this is Steve Evans. Uh, I'm personally not anxious. Uh, I'm anxious kind of, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It'd be great to be able to go back and be live with everybody. Personally, I'm not enthused or anxious to get back there. So I would probably choose to wait a month or two before I would want to go at uh, and sit at City Hall. But I, I agree with Charlie. If somebody wants to, they ought to just go and do it. And uh, we could, we might learn now uh, if one or two or three people wanted to, uh, um, it might end up being a good thing. We're not going to know it unless somebody tries it, though. So be my guest. <laughs> well, what I would say is if if that's the case and, um, you know, just to provide advance notice to, to uh, David so that, you know, if there were a circumstance where there, you know, more more than five people that that could be that could be addressed to make sure that that didn't happen. But I don't I don't anticipate that happening. Any other comments from people? But again, first like, <laughs> yeah, but you get there late, you don't get a spot. <laughs> yeah, and and like David said, you know, we can revisit this again. You know, so I mean, kind of month by month to see how things unfold as well. So, all right, let's um, let's move on to uh, staff items. Um, uh, if we could go back and do receive public comment on that, Commissioner Collette, on that last item. Okay, yeah, sorry, didn't see that. Um, yes, please go ahead, Michael. Hi, thank you once again, Michael Allman. Just speaking for myself, um, I was at the City Commission meeting in person last night, uh, so I have a couple observations that may, may be of value to you, I'm not sure. Um, the, the, the hybrid system really isn't fully operational yet. It's operational if there are five members of a board or commission. Um, but if there are more than five members for a board and commission, then there are technical limitations. So it's not really, uh, you know, it, it's not really there yet. Uh, you might want to wait until they have nine microphones operational. Um, but as far as the technology goes, um, I wasn't able to see the Zoom screen because that was facing the commission away from the audience. So I'm not sure how that worked necessarily in your interaction from people in the room communicating with people in Zoom. Um, however, the staff table to the right side um, 
that faced inward so that the commissioners up on the dais could see those staff members. There were four seats at that table that could accommodate four members of the staff. The city manager was there and the city attorney was sitting there, but the city clerk was sitting with her back to the commission. And I'm not sure why they decided to do that, but well, she, she had to directly interact with the Zoom screen. That might be re the reason why, um, because she basically conducted the, the functionality of the meeting. Um, and one thing about the audio, um, when people who were not in there in person, like Mr. Cronin, who was there by Zoom, when he uh, commented by Zoom, when I was in the room listening to what Mr. Cronin said over the speakers in the room, uh, it was very distorted. Uh, I had a hard time understanding what he was saying. But when I listened to the meeting, um, the recorded session by Zoom, the audio I heard through my earphones of Mr. Cronin was very clear. So I'm not sure if the speakers in the room will accommodate really good communication between live and Zoom. And uh, that's why I say, you know, it's really kind of not all there. Uh, so just take that into consideration just from my own observations. Thank you, Michael. That's helpful. All right, let's uh, move on to staff items. Dave Cronin, City Engineer, uh, just wanted to, to note um, here on the agenda, since we did originally intend to have this discussion at tonight's meeting, that um, it is um, those items being deferred till next month. So that's also reflective on the calendar. Um, so a, a, uh, the, the uh, discussion for a transit um, facility option for uh, the hub at Bob Billings and Crestline and the downtown transfer facility will be on the August 2nd meeting. That is all that I have on that. Thank you. All right, commission items. We'll start with the PTAC update. Is that you, Nick? Nick Kuzmiak. MMTC, I suppose it is, um, although I see that Adam Weigel's on the call as well, so he may be the better person to update us. Um, if you want a quick soundbite, um, at this point, we're still looking over the details of the Transit Center project and um, are hoping to approve it soon. So that's all I know. But Adam, if you want to jump in with something that I've completely forgotten, which is likely, <laughs> feel free. It's Adam Weigel, Transit and Park Manager. Uh, that's the primary piece we're working on. We've got a number of irons in the fire. Um, something the group may be interested in soon. Uh, we're looking to deploy mobile transit fare payment. So the ability to get uh, pay for bus fare through your phone just as an additional option for people. So um, that will hopefully be coming through in the next couple of months. We're working on contract issues right now. But yeah, facility is top of mind. Great, thank you. 
Um, and then transit redesign committee update. Uh, Adam, you want to talk about that? Sure, uh, Adam Weidel, transit and parking manager. So we are uh, in kind of the first third of that work. Uh, we have a survey that's been out for a little over a month now. Uh, that will close this Friday. We've got close to 500 responses we're happy with. Um, but the survey that's currently out is part of a number of outreach efforts we've done to try to understand how people currently use the system and how they view some key trade-off questions that we've been asking. Um, some trade-off questions that, that really do constrain us on a daily basis. Uh, more frequency versus more coverage. Fare-free service or uh, fare-free service that would include some needed service cuts or keeping service levels where they at without achieving fare-free service. So really putting some of those difficult trade-off questions in the hands of, of um, people in the community to try to guide us on what first first iterations of service scenarios might look like. So uh, once that survey wraps up at the end of this week, consultants at Foursquare has been working on a number of technical analyses using census data and ridership, a lot of the qualitative data that we're getting through the survey. To, to present service scenarios that then I think will elicit a lot of interest and reaction from the community that will help us kind of massage that into what would be the final um, preferred concept that will likely be some version of a hybrid, whatever scenarios come out over the next couple of months. That's about where we're at on that project. I know Carol and Charlie are on that group, so. Um, any other thoughts from your experience on the steering committee? Uh, Charlie Bryan, MMTC. So the last meeting, um, mostly the conversation was around the survey design and those trade-off questions. I'm kind of excited by that because it, it asks a lot of good questions around like, would you rather have this or that? And, and it doesn't imply that one's better than the other. So. It'll be interesting to see how the what the public perception is around um, kind of the relative merits of you know more frequent service versus longer hours, uh, Sunday service versus you know longer hours, or you know just kind of throws out ideas we've probably all heard in the past, but we've never had the question posed like, well, what's the trade-off? You can have it, but you need to take away something else, and um, be eager to see if. Um, within that constraint if people would still want to see you know things like sunday service or more frequent service or not expanding into areas that are less well served um, so i'm looking forward to seeing the results um, that's all i that's all i can say on in terms of that last committee meeting i wanted to um since we're talking about transit under commission items i i just wanted to say i really appreciated the opportunity to do the um, walking tour of the transit facility uh, proposals and it was really instructive to especially get the feedback from one of the um, transit operators uh, you know specifically around the option 1a and 1b um, and then you know being able to 
look at the Crestline facility proposal location was also helpful. So I just appreciate Adam for doing that, um, making that available to uh, PTAC and MMTC members. And it certainly stimulated a lot of discussion, uh, you know, from a few of us that were part of that. So I don't know if there's any future opportunity, but if you haven't taken the time to walk uh, and look at the, you know, places in the downtown area, um, that in particular, I think, has a lot of, um, feels like there's a lot more complications in that decision. So it'd be worth just to stroll through downtown and bring your maps and think through how that decision should be, what we should recommend. Thanks. Nick, did you have a, have a comment? This is Nick, MMTC. Uh, the clap and the raising hand look pretty similar. And I've been confused by <laughs> okay, yeah. I was merely applauding as well. Um, okay, great. Uh, but while we're on me, I do have a quick one. Um, I've, I've been noticing over the past few months, and it may just be my perception and not reality, so correct me if this is wrong, that the study sessions seem to be declining in attendance. Um, I, I have a feeling that it's probably not the subject matter because we've had some really cool ones recently, but it may just be availability of folks to actually make that time. So, since we've had so much turnover um, over the past year, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it's time to kind of rethink when and how frequently we have those study sessions. Um, I mean, I for one can make it because I have a normal nine to five, it kind of works out well, but not everybody has this, you know, predictable with schedules I do. So um, I don't know how to address that because we only have, you know, just a little bit over half of our members here in the first place, but perhaps there's a way that we can, I don't know, Dave, if you could send out a poll or something to kind of, you know, try to see who is available when and, you know, maybe if the frequency needs to change or something, I don't know. Okay, this is Dave Kearns, the engineer. I can follow up and <clears throat> see if there's any... I haven't had any indication from anyone that has missed a study session that it was the time necessarily, but um, I can pull the group and see if um, we need to make an adjustment in the future. Does anyone else have any thoughts on having I a study session? It was, I, I kind of assumed it was, you know, summer schedules, but I don't know that for a fact. It, it wouldn't hurt to communicate with the, with the entire um, commission just to see if there's adjustments that we can make so that more, more people could attend because they have been really rich sessions. I, I think it's, um, um, you know, I guess the fact is, People can watch those after the fact, and, and um, so at least they aren't missing out totally, but they're not able to ask questions and, and such during those study sessions. So, But, yeah, it'd be good to follow up just to see if there's some, uh, some better way to accommodate schedules, if, if that's, if that's an, an issue. This is Steve Evans. I have... Uh, uh, just a couple of things to add, I believe what Charlie said. The, um, we did hear from Amy from the planning department on the downtown master plan last month. And uh, I noticed today that the steering committee is meeting tomorrow um, at 4, 4 p.m. The, um, the thing that, the comment that I would make about the downtown master plan and what's being proposed on 
on the 800 block of Vermont for the transfer facility is it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of discussion between the two um, to come up with um, you know some ideas about what uh, what they mean to each other. In other words, I don't think those that that plan is coordinated with um, with what the options are in the 800 block of Vermont. And I'm hoping tomorrow, the steering committee I know was very active in in looking at the public comments and um, asking for a little more time. I think a month or two to get back to the city commission before the recommendation was made on the draft plan. But um, I think it would behoove us to also keep our eye on that as it may relate to what we recommend or not in August for the 800 block of, um, of Vermont. And I'm glad Adam came back on because he may want to add a little bit to the whole discussion that you may or may not have had with um, with HLA, the, the consultant. I'd be interested to know a little more about that. Sure, uh, Adam Wild, Transit and Parking Manager. So uh, we were consulted throughout that process and provided comment to draft plans that came forward. Um, I think a big piece of what we offered them was, uh, and it was leading up to uh, our consultant coming on board to look at options um, for the downtown area. I think uh, the primary piece that we identified throughout that plan is that that city-owned property, particularly city-owned parking lots along New Hampshire and Vermont, were opportunity spaces for transit services. Um, dating back definitely to the 2018 study, there has for a long time been part of the consideration of any improvements downtown to transit at not looking at like private properties. I know in some cases there's been brought up uh, suggestions to use the borders lot or the Journal World um, property that is uh, has been looked at for redevelopment. And that's just really not been part of the transit project improvements to look at the investment that would take to purchase and demolish and redevelop larger private lots like that. So one piece of the coordination with the downtown master plan was uh, just looking at feasible spaces that had the right amount of room, uh, low entry fee as far as being city-owned properties, and then um, you know how, how parking can be mitigated through that. So that's a piece of it. I do think there are other pieces that we considered in uh, the work that we were doing was desire for some public spaces downtown, um, particularly at 800 block options, you'll see um, some new community park space on the northeast corner of 9th and Vermont um, that would be incorporated if one of those concepts was advanced. Um, so that's a piece I think that is a nod towards some of the um, interesting components that the downtown master plan wanted to look at. Um, there's been a lot of efforts for uh, comfortable bicycle facilities in the downtown area. So fully protected bicycle facilities, which can be hard to achieve with limited space. Um, I think on that block, the two-way cycle track was one way that uh, that, that option could implement uh, something that would uh, help in that regard and potentially set up for future uh, 
extension of, of more comfortable bike facilities downtown. Um, and uh, but I also think that um, the redevelopment prospects of, of parking lots downtown was a big thing that was noted throughout the downtown master plan. And in particular, that 800 block of Vermont is set up such that uh, there would still be a lot of developable area there. Um, the, the proposed concept for that particular block would not preclude a building or underground parking or parking garage or any type of a development like that could still occur given the way those concepts are laid out and the access to and from, from that area that would still remain. So those are just a few of the ways I think that we uh, we provided input and that we tried to see um, the proposals that we were looking at kind of mesh with a lot of what downtown master plan uh, was looking at, at doing. Thank you. Adam, this is Pat Collette, chair of MTC. Um, has the steering committee weighed in on the options, on any of the options from uh, the alternatives for the downtown transit facilities? Adam Weigel, Transit and Parking Manager. Um, throughout the outreach that we did in April and then came back with actual concepts in June, um, we did not have specific meetings with the um, steering committee group there, but uh, you know certainly had a lot of opportunity for people to provide comment. Um, so I, I do hope that some of the steering committee members were, were involved in a lot of the different survey options and the in-person outreach we did, um, hopeful that they got involved in that way, but we do not have a specific uh, meeting set up for that group. Thank you. Other questions or comments? Other commission items? Commissioner Bowen, um, I missed the last meeting, but they were really good discussions. Um, I had some notes like I always do and they kind of accumulated on me. In the past, there was hostility between drivers and pedestrians and cyclists and that seems to have subsided somewhat. And I, having been on this um, um, redesign route commission and some of the other ones i'm thinking we should have some kind of a program that that proposes best practices for the drivers the cyclists and the pedestrians with no blame game no who has a right for what but just just learning how to interact because some of us old people might remember but it certainly has been auto-driven for quite a while and I was thinking things like um, if a cyclist is on a sidewalk, they should know that the pedestrian has the right of way, although we don't know that because we don't have any suggestions. We just say the state, state allows it. Well, that's general. We could always refine that and we could, it doesn't have to be an ordinance. We could just say things like the pedestrian should stop at the curb before they step out into the street regardless of the signals. Um, we could say cyclists, if they're going to use a sidewalk, should obey pedestrian rules. 
I, I don't even know, but just that kind of thing so that everyone's part of this intermodal effort is just one of my wild-haired ideas. Um, it came up at the last meeting, I think it was the last meeting, maybe it was this meeting, that we should have a public appeal process, and we should. It's come up a couple of times, but we don't have one, and we need to work through that. Um, we need to work on a process for project proposals before the design stage. After the design stage is too late. We don't want, we want to talk about what the actual function is going to be, how the concept fits in. We need to do that before we see a potential design, before a grant is written. We need to see those things ahead of time. Um, on bus route redesign, the committee is made up of a lot of stakeholders, senior resources on there, um, the T is on there, um, Just Foods, a lot of different affected groups. But I, there's kind of a disconnect between that and bus route design, because if we're really trying to teach people, encourage people to ride the bus who have never ridden one before, right now, a new design isn't going to help them any. It's just going to be something off there. Somebody's doing something and it's not going to encourage them to ride the bus. So we have to figure out how to communicate to these people. Some of them may not have web access. Some of them may not have a cell phone. Some of them may not even have cable TV. We don't know. But we cannot assume. We cannot have the answers before the questions. Um, okay, that's it. That's the end of my list. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. Other commission items? All right, I don't see any. Let's uh, move on to the calendar. This is Dave Cronin, city engineer. So in August, we're back to meeting on Monday, which will be August the 2nd. Uh, for the study session topic, we have the bike security and bike theft data. And on the regular meeting, um, as I mentioned earlier, the discussion with the transit projects, and then also um, bringing back the recommendation to approve the school area traffic control policy. And that'll include some revised um, information with the uh, school crossing guard uh, data that we discussed previously. So that will be part of that uh, policy and that recommendation. And that is what we have on tap for August. All right, thank you. Well, it looks like uh, we can uh, entertain a motion to adjourn. Harley Bryant, MMTC, I move we adjourn. Is there a second? Steve Evans, second. Okay. Seconded by Commissioner Evans. Um, oh, Michael, I got a, got a comment. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Collette. Um, yeah, I do have a comment on the calendar, if I may. Okay. Um, back in February at your retreat, uh, 
the commission indicated that you wanted to have a discussion about potential policies that uh, you may want to entertain or initiate. And as I understood, that policy discussion was going to be at the July meeting, which um, didn't happen. And now I've heard that it was going to be at the August meeting, but it's not indicated yet at the August meeting either. Um, it seems like things are piling up here. Um, we get into a discussion and we mention, you know, you or I or the public or whoever that, well, what's the policy on this? Or maybe we need to have a policy. Well, uh, you know, it's, we need to have that framework discussion, I would think. And as, as it keeps dragging on, more decisions are made without policies in place. And one policy that was discussed this evening was the green pavement marking policy. And Mr. Cronin said that he wanted to see that policy before he will even consider green pavement markings, which I find kind of um, disturbing that he wouldn't even consider it unless there is a policy actually telling him to. But so we need some policy discussion. We need some direction. We need policy like about the radius of uh, intersection corners. Uh, I mean, there's a number of policies that that we could list here. And so I'm wondering, do we really need to talk about bike security in August? Um, that's not something that's impending. I think maybe that could be bumped for a policy discussion. So I would request that maybe you consider that. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we have a motion to uh, to adjourn and a second. Uh, I think we can raise our hands um, on that for adjournment. All in favor? Looks like uh, a majority here. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.